Yo, what's up, everybody? It is time for the In Off the Bench podcast. I am Daniel Ball, the keeper of the peace, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, my partners in crime, my brothers from other mothers, Jim Cross, Randy Jowers. Guys, tonight is episode 24, titled Swayze Silverback. But before we get to that man, the myth, the legend, the Swayze Silverback himself, Jim, my man, you got a quick shout out for us? Yeah, man. Hot breaking news just came in. You know, some of our former guests from Holmes Community College in Itawamba were going against each other, talking a little trash today. They both sent me messages telling me they were going to take care of business, but it was Itawamba who did the sweep and Connor Gardner who came out on top. So shout out to Itawamba. Hey, shout out to the JUCOs out there kicking ass. Uh, you know, speaking of kicking ass, let's bring into the mix the man, the myth, the Swayze Silverback himself with the biggest interview in podcasting this week, Old Miss baseball player, Ben Van Cleve. <laughs> ben, my man, how we doing? I'm awesome. Thank you all for having me. Yeah, man. Um so before I was even told that this Swayze Silverback was a nickname, was a thing, I mentioned to the boys, I said, this guy's a lumberjack, guys. He's like a, a beast. And then come to find out, like, there's this Swayze Silverback nickname that you've been given. Like, how does that come to be? I mean, I can look at you and tell, but because we're not of, of we're a podcast and we're not doing the video portion, like, Give everybody a taste. Like, like, why are you the Swayze Silverback? All right. So when I first got to Ole Miss, I guess it would be fall of 2019. I think that's right. Um, obviously, whenever somebody hits a double, everybody has a double celebration. So I was still trying to flirt around my double celebration. At first, I just kind of beat my uh, right bicep, kind of punched my right bicep and flex a little bit. And then – I can't even remember who it was. I think maybe last year. Probably, I think it was Doug Nikhazy, actually. He was like, man, why don't you just beat your chest? And so I was like, all right, I'll give it a try. So a few inner squads in. I hit a few more doubles, start beating my chest. Everybody seems to like it. And then um, first game of the year last year, uh, we were playing Louisville. I hit a double. And I start beating my chest and get on Twitter after the game, and it's just all over the place. Swayze Silverback. And our, our whole entire uh, media crew just – they, they said I'm the Swayze Silverback, and it's stuck since then, and it, it's been awesome. It's uh, I've, I've embraced it, honestly. Um, I've taken every opportunity I can get to beat my chest. Look, man, I, I, I think that's a perfect perfect nickname for you, and the, the great thing about nicknames is that they take a, a life of their own, and so with social media, I'm, I'm sure you can tell, like, that hashtag probably blows up anytime you guys are on the diamond, so... Um, but talk to me, as a kid growing up, did you have any other nicknames or was that really the first nickname that stuck with you? Yeah, the first the first nickname I ever had, this one was probably my biggest nickname from probably six years old till I was about 14, 15. And the people who started it still call me that. I got called Tank because I've just always been the biggest kid, the, the biggest, tallest kid in my grade. Um, I guess I was built like a tank when I was younger and a few people called me tank and it just stuck for a while. And it, it never, never really went on after high school and college, but uh, that's, that was my first nickname was tank. Man, you, 
Man, you deserve the title for best nicknames because I, I'm jealous. I don't have anything near close or near good enough to to compete with Tank or Swayze Silverback. But you know, you, you mentioned a young kid having nicknames, just being a big kid. But you know, where where are you from? I'm from Indianola, Mississippi. Um, it's in the heart of the Mississippi Delta. Indianola. We had a conversation about Indianola, and I'll be honest with you. I, I said, Jim, where the hell is that? Because I, I don't know. I'm from Memphis. I grew up there, lived, lived there most of my life. I moved out, I don't know, back in 20, 2006, 2011-ish. Um, but now it's like I, I have no recollection of anything in Mississippi or, or anything outside of the Memphis area. So where, where is that? So Indianola is located 30 miles west of Greenwood, Mississippi, 30 miles east of Greenville, Mississippi, and 30 miles south of Cleveland, Mississippi, where Delta State is. Okay, now now, now I can visualize it. So you're, uh, I'm assuming this is a small town? Yeah, very small town. Everybody knows everybody, you go to church, everybody's there. And... Yep, that's All right. right. So what was your family life like? Are you only child? You got brothers, you got sisters, you live with mom, dad. What was it like? So uh, I'm very blessed with my family life. I have two brothers. I have an older brother. His name was Woods and I have a younger brother. His name is Whit. And I live with my mother and my father, Selden and Michelle. Um, I, I had a great family life. Uh, my family supported me always in everything I did and they still do to this day and don't miss a single game. And did your brothers play ball too? Um, so my older brother, he played baseball for a little bit. Um, I think he stopped playing his 11th grade year of high school. And my younger brother does not play ball. So outside of your, your brothers and just, you know, competing as a kid and, and doing, you know, just, just being a kid growing up, any other influences, any other people that were big in your life that got you into any sports? Um, I don't think there was ever a problem with getting me into sports because I, I came out of the womb wanting to play with a ball. Uh, I've always wanted to play every sport, basketball, football, baseball, anything that had a ball to do with it. It's just been what's on my mind. Uh, my, my father is a big reason for getting me into sports, I guess you could say. He always wanted me to be active, anything I could do to be active. And I was I was a big kid. I was overweight at one time as a, as a kid. And sports for a way to keep me in shape keep me healthy and keep me going and it helped that I was I was pretty good at sports and I enjoyed doing it so I guess my father would probably be the biggest influence for me Daniel he's the kid that the opposing team's coach always asked for the birth certificate on oh I, I guarantee you that <laughs> I got a funny story about that so now's so, the time to tell it yeah I mean like Give it to me, man, because I, I'm, I'm, I want to hear this because I, I can picture it now. Like I knew a guy and he was like six, five and it, we were like 10 and everybody was like birth certificate. Like the guy, like mo the, the mom made a copy and took it everywhere, everywhere he went. So tell me the story. Uh, this has got to be good. OK, so when I was six years old, I played um, in the rec league in Indianola, Mississippi. And at six years old, you're supposed to play T-ball. Well, I actually got kicked out of T-ball because I hit the ball too hard. And I got moved up to seven and eight-year-old coach pitch. 
So I was playing coach pitch, went through the whole entire season, and I got selected to be an all-star. So I was on the all-star team. You know, you travel to the all-star tournaments and you win that, you go to the state tournaments and whatnot. So I think we win our like district all-star tournament. So we have to go to a state tournament and I'm not sure where it was, maybe Kosciuszko, Mississippi. And we get there and we're playing games and stuff. And we've got all these parents from other teams, from other cities saying, asking for my birth certificate, saying that I, there's no way I should, I'm seven or eight years old. And of course my mother gets all into it. And she's like, you're right. He's not seven or eight, he's only six. And so ever since then, she decided that it'd be smart to take my birth certificate wherever we went to prove to people wrong. Man, haters gonna hate Ben, man. That's it that's, had to be especially it. salty, Daniel, when they found out he was six, bro. Oh, I bet. I bet. So you, you talked about coming out of the womb just wanting wanting to play ball. Like what sports did you grow grow up playing? So I played uh football starting in fifth grade, played peewee football all the way up through high school. And honestly, kind of regret at times not playing football in college. But uh, played baseball ever since I could pick up a bat. I've been playing baseball um, and played basketball from fourth grade peewee on up until the end of high school. Um, I was in high school. I was on the swim team, actually, uh, for a period of time. I ran track and cross country. Um, well, I should have probably asked, well, what did you not do? Uh, I didn't play soccer at my school. Hey, and tennis. <laughs> tennis. I played so, golf as well when I could. So you you mentioned you, you you thought about you know playing college football. What like what position were you? How big were you? Like what were schools offering you? And you just chose baseball. So the deal with football was. I didn't get any recognition really until my senior year of high school because I never went to camps. I never did any of that because I was always focused on baseball, travel teams, baseball, playing in showcases, all this stuff. Um, I was the exact same size and high. From about 10th grade on, I've been the exact same size. So I've been about 6'3", 245 to 260 for the past five, six years of my life. Um, I was middle linebacker and tight end. Um, I got offered by a few junior colleges and football is just something that I love so much. And you just itch for that Friday night feeling you walk down that field and it's just goosebumps and butterflies. And I loved every second of it. And a part of me thought about playing college football in junior college, but, and then I thought about, I was like, you know what, when you're in junior college, especially in Mississippi junior college football, there's some big fellas there. There are some talented guys there. And they don't really care who you are. They don't care who you're from. They're, they're there to take your position and get to the next level. And I just thought it was my best decision to stick with baseball. And everything's worked out. And I love baseball. And it's where my heart really is. So I know you, you, you mentioned it, you know, off the air. You, you're, you make your money by – crushing baseballs but obviously when you start playing you got to have a position so what position did you play growing up I was always first base third base growing up um majority first base but I would switch over to third every now and then being six three and being as big as you are nobody ever put you on the mound and was like let's just let's just see yeah well I didn't get into that but so <laughs> when I was about 11 or 12 years old 
I threw almost 80 miles per hour at 11 or 12. And I thought I was going to be a major league baseball pitcher. My parents thought it. My coaches thought it. Everybody thought it. They're like, this kid's throwing 80 miles per hour at 11 or 12 years old. Where is he going to be in four or five years? Well, things didn't work out there. And my, my, uh, my, I just never gained any velocity. And I, uh, I dealt with a good bit of in- injuries on my right shoulder. And that held me back as well. But I enjoyed pitching. I, I threw four pitches, sometimes tried to throw five just because I could. And I would work with different arm slots just to do something else too. Yeah, Ben, let's let's I'm gonna go through the high school real quick. So tell everybody again, where did you go to high school? And I want you to tell me something unique about where you went to high school. Okay, I went to high school at Indianola Academy. Our mascot was the Colonels. Uh, Indianola Academy is a 3A private school. I'm not sure if they still are 3A private school. But um, that is – I'd I'd say the interesting thing about my high school now is everything was normal and fine up until 10th grade. And then for some reason they decided they want to start doing security lockdowns all the time. And they basically gated our whole entire school and put in like an access code to get near our school. And I guess that's normal nowadays. But when I was in high school, I feel like if you just wanted to walk in the school, you could walk in the school. And that's how it was up until about ninth or 10th grade for me. And then we couldn't. Yeah, no doubt. I'm glad that you brought that up because as I'm doing research up to this show and maybe you tell me if this is true or not, I was reading that Indianola Academy made it mandatory to drug test all the students. Is that still a thing? Yeah, that's still a thing. They, uh, we, random drug tests all the time. Uh, there is a, obviously something you have, you, what you have to wear to school, had to wear collared shirts every single day, unless it was a Friday, you could wear a school issued t-shirt on Fridays. <laughs> did it have their mascot logo on it? <laughs> Some of them did. All right, man. So let's talk about obviously what your your accolades and athletics. You know that's that's what we're here for. But I want to know: Are you just an athlete? You were a scholar. How important were grades to you? Well, my mother instilled into me at an early age that uh, grades were the most important thing. So I I'd like to say that I am a scholar. I I keep really good grades. I give a good GPA, and that's important to me. Um, I've made it a goal in my life to try to not cost my parents much money to go to college. And I mean, it's worked out so far and I'm just grateful that my mom, my mom put that in me uh, to work hard to be a good student because it's, it's, it's important to me now. Yeah. Shout out to moms, man. Very smart of you to say that too. Cause she goes back and listens. She'll be, she'll be hearing that. <laughs> so uh, you talked about a little bit, the sports that you played, how you wish you had done it. I'm going through kind of looking you look like you were a stud in all these sports, man. I mean, defensive player of the year. I mean, talk to us about that, man. Um, I, I guess I just where I, what I really like the most. I like defense on football. I like um, smacking people. Yeah, I did. I enjoyed hitting people. I had just a good itch, a good nerve. I, I had a feeling what the offense was about to do. Um, so I played middle linebacker. So I really didn't blitz that often. But when I did, it was fun. But other than that, I, I, I did a bunch of reading. I would read the guards. I would read the fullbacks. And that's what I, I would pride myself around was how good I could do that. And I was able to get to the ball quick and hit them in the hole. 
and there's nothing better than just smoking a running back or riding the hole right as they're getting there. All right, so you won multiple state championships in different sports. I want you to tell me what your favorite one was. So I won one in basketball. Sure, that was fun. I mean, basketball is not where I really – where my heart really was, not what I love that much. I just get in the paint and I'd rough people around. Oh, Zebo uh, down there. Yeah. yeah. My, uh, my favorite is, was definitely football. My senior year, we went 14-0 state championship. Won the cha- state championship game, I think, 42-7. to seven. Just nobody was much of a competition for us. We, we had crazy athletes in my school that year. Uh, some of my best friends in the world. Um, Mitchell Pitts, one of my best buddies. He's now uh, at Ole Miss. He's about to graduate this spring. Just good athlete. We grew up playing on the same travel baseball team together. Grew up playing every sport together. Another really good friend, Sherman Timms. He actually plays football in Mississippi State now. Um, has gotten a bunch, got a bunch of playing time this past year. I think he got his first career sack in the bowl game against Tulsa. Um, really good athlete. And we had some younger kids that were good, too, and just everybody around us. Uh, and my town is known for football. Our school is known for football. I, when I was there, I never lost a home football game. I think we won 42 straight at home. So, wait, did you just say your friends was a Mississippi State person? Is that <laughs> is that allowed? I have a bunch of Mississippi State friends. Oh, buddy. Not, not, when, not when you get in between them lines, though, right? Then it's on. <laughs> That's right. So – all right, something a little different here. Uh, I want you to take me through who was the best baseball player that you played against in high school? In high school, that's tough for me. Not many not many really great baseball players. No, nobody stood out. Okay, okay. Who was the best football player you played against? Um, okay. I played against Dylan Johnson. He went to St. Joe's. Catholic school in Greenville, Mississippi, and now he was he started running back for Mississippi State this year. Dylan Johnson was a really good football player, really hard to tackle when he got in space. Can just really can really move, can really juke, can really run. He, he's a good player. Absolutely. Did you play any against any ballers in basketball? Um, actually, I had a pretty good player on my team, um, Brandon Kimball. He ended up going to junior college I believe and then he went to Mississippi Valley State and then I think he actually went to Arkansas this year University of Arkansas I'm not sure if he's still there or not but he was a he's a pretty good basketball player yeah excellent so switching gears a little bit talking about travel ball we know how important that is and how much of a big deal that is even when you know we were younger believe it or not it was a huge thing so talk us through you know who you played for and what that was like playing travel ball versus just high school ball so I started out um, seven years old, travel ball. Uh, my father and one of his good friends created a team, and it was a bunch of Mississippi Delta boys, all the way from Helena, Arkansas, down to Cleveland and Greenville and Indianola, Mississippi. Just a bunch of rough, tough boys and go out there and just try to swing and play a little defense. And I played on that team for two or three years, and – uh, I needed to get with a little better competition. I needed to get with some guys that really had a future at playing some college ball. And so I think when I was 12, I got with this team out of Jackson, Mississippi, called the Central Mississippi Reds. And that team is kind of where I got my foundation of I've got a good shot. And I met a bunch of great friends. I think we had 10 players on that team and seven out of 10, I believe, are playing collegiate baseball now. 
um, had some really good athletes on that team. And then when that ended, I was like, well, it's time to get on a showcase team. So I went up to Memphis and I was on the Doolins Dodgers for, I think, a year or two. Um, enjoyed it, but I, it, just, it just wasn't exactly what I wanted. And so when I was 14, I decided to join the East Coast Sox. And East Coast Sox is what, what helped me get known and get out there. And at 16 years old, we played in the Whirlwood Bat Championship and uh, out in Emerson, Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia. And my East Coast Sox team actually won the national championship and I got MVP of that tournament. And that was kind of just like the biggest point of my travel ball career was getting MVP of that tournament. And uh, I was going into my senior year of high school. And I think that is about the time when Northwest was calling a lot. And obviously I wanted to go to a big division one out of high school, but I realized that junior college is probably best for me. That's, that's when I committed to Northwest after that, but that is my, that's my uh, travel ball career right there. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought up Northwest because I want to talk about that, what that recruiting process was like, you know, you said that they started calling a lot your senior year. I mean, was that the first time they were coming after you? Was it earlier? And what was it like signing with those guys? So my, uh, the first time I believe they saw me at Northwest was my sophomore year. I actually played in the Elite 100 baseball camp at Ole Miss and other college coaches had come to it. I had a really good uh, little showcase up here. And that's the first time they saw me, I think, 10th or 11th grade year, they called me. They just let me know they were interested and all the good stuff, just trying to uh, make me feel good. And obviously I'm – I've played baseball my whole life, dreamed of playing the SEC. I'm like, yeah, these JUCO guys, what are these junior college guys calling me for? Because I didn't know much about junior college. It wasn't it wasn't important to me. I was like, junior college, that's what you go when you're not good enough to play D1. That's, that's all I thought about. And, uh, boy, was I wrong about that. But, I mean, I had some I had some wonderful, wonderful times at Northwest, some incredible memories, and I am grateful for the two years I spent there. Yeah, so let's dive into Northwest. Let's run through that freshman year recap for us and what it was like transitioning from, you know, your showcase teams, your travel teams, your high school team. Now you're playing in Northwest and how much of an eye-opener it was for you and how hard that transition was, if it was. So the, the main thing, the biggest thing is I went into Northwest with the mindset of, man, why am I here? Why am I here? And – I had I had to figure out that real fast. That was the biggest thing on my mind. So I get there in the fall, have a really good fall. I fight my fight my way through it, and I was going to be starting first base in the spring. So I won the first base job, and get the spring going. And I say we're about 10, 15 games into the season, and I, I look at myself in the mirror. I'm like, I was not ready for Division One baseball. I was like, this is the best thing that has ever happened to me. I developed some great friends there. Uh, I had a good season my freshman year. I think I batted maybe 308 with eight jacks. Um, knew I had a lot more in the tank. Knew there was a lot left. But the fresh, my freshman year taught me a lot. And I actually had a, a little issue my freshman year. I gained about 20 or 30 pounds. Not of good weight either. It was not good. And I call it the freshman 40, so you're good. <laughs> It was. It wasn't good. It was a bunch. It never of fell off of me, Ben. 
it was that uh, Northwest cafeteria food. I, I decided three meals a day there that uh, that probably wasn't the best option for me anymore. So that that was my freshman year. But uh, that summer, I was going to play summer ball, but I, I told myself I need to focus on my body. So I focused on my body and got some weight off there that summer. Yeah, so you're, you're going in, you're transitioning, now you got to get that weight off going into that that sophomore season. What what what? Tell us one one thing that you learned at Northwest because you're talking a lot about as a learning experience that prepared you for where you're at now at Ole Miss. Um, it taught me that there is always someone working harder than you. Uh, I get to Northwest and I've got some buddies there that. We're in the dorms at midnight, one in the morning, and none of us can sleep. They're blowing up my phone. Hey, want to go to the indoor? Let's go hit. And, I mean, we're in Senatobia, Mississippi. There's nothing else to do. You can't go to sleep. Look, you're going to go hit. So, I think I spent if – there, if there are 300 nights in a school year, if there were 300 nights, I would say 225 of those nights we spent hitting after 10 p.m. Love to see it. Love to hear it. So tell us, how'd you get on old Mrs. Radar at Northwest? So my sophomore year, the uh, the fall of it, I had a really good fall. I think in the fall I hit seven or eight home runs. And we have this thing in junior college called a sophomore showcase. And we all go down to Smith Willis Stadium in Jackson. And we they put on a little showcase to do, go do, through a little defensive run through, run the 60, all that stuff. But the biggest part for me was the hitting, and that was at the late part of the night. And Ole Miss had contacted me because I think my coach, Mark Carson, had kind of talked to them, hey, you need to see this guy. You need to come check him out at the showcase. They had contacted me, let me know they were going to be there. And they, I saw them there, and I was the – of course, Northwest was the very last team to hit the showcase, and it's like 8.30. And these, these coaches have been there all day. I'm just hoping, just like, man, I hope they stayed around. I hope they stayed around. I go, and my group finally gets up and I hit. And I, I, th- I had one of the most unreal rounds of BP in my life. Uh, I think I hit 13 of 17 balls out of the park, just all over the place. And I was like, I did what I could do. If that, if that doesn't show them that I, I need to be there and want to be there, then I, I don't know what will. So, for you, was it always Ole Miss or were there other options? Deep down, it always was. There was, there was never another place I really wanted to be. Well, that's um, what I'm talking about. If, if Ole Miss wouldn't have came calling, if they, they never would have been a chance, an opportunity for me, then I would have gone somewhere else. But my hidden coach here, Coach Clement, we, we, have this, we have this ladies forum every year. We had the ladies forum this year, and we're up there talking on the podium. And Coach Clement's going through and introducing all of us. And he, he made a joke, but honestly, the joke, it's really not that much of a joke because it's kind of serious. He, he said, if it wasn't for us getting him, I'm not sure he'd still be playing college baseball because he wanted to come to Ole Miss that bad. And, I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure, honestly. I'm, I'm glad it worked out for me. Well, listen, man, one more question. I'm going to pass you over to Jim, man. Tell us what the feeling was like you signing with Ole Miss, what that day was like and what your emotions were like. It's – Emotions were everywhere. Um, grew up being such a huge Ole Miss fan, family going here. And it's all I've ever talked to my family about, my parents about. And the day it happened, it was just – it was tears. It was tears of joy. My parents, tears of joy. 
and it, it was one it's one of the greatest days of my life and I'm grateful for it yeah and sticking to those emotions you know what was it like the first day you know you just came from North Northwest stepping onto the campus in Oxford like I mean what was that feeling like uh the feeling was all right I'm here here we are make a name for yourself and so I got to ask you, you know, since you've talked a lot about, you know, your friends and your teammates and everything, how cool was it that you and Hayden Leatherwood came over there together? Uh, really cool. One of my best friends. Uh, we hit three, four in the lineup together at, um, at Northwest. Just been a, been a good friend for a long time now. We, we actually knew each other before Northwest because we played on Doolin's Dodgers a little bit together. And it's awesome having somebody here that's been through exactly what I've been through in the college level. Uh, it's, it's been really cool. And we, we've been in everything together and it's a good friend to lean on. Yeah. And I tell you, man, between both of you guys, you know, y'all may not feel like, I don't know if role models is the, the right word necessarily, but you're setting, you're setting a bar and, and you're showing the other guys because, you know, I'm obviously tight with a lot of those Juco guys and they want to do exactly what y'all are doing and you're showing them the course of how to do it. So watching the two of y'all and then watching y'all, you know, this past weekend, do what you do. Like, I mean, you're setting the example of how to do it. And I just absolutely love it between both of you guys. Um, so let's talk about it, man. I've seen Swayze field. It's crazy. What were the emotions like the first time you stepped out on that field? <laughs> uh, I, I was in the batter's box, I believe. So it was, February 14th, 2020, first game of the season. We're facing top five, first round top five pick Reed Detmers from Louisville on the mound, left-handed pitcher. This guy's got all the hype, all the buzz, and I step in the batter's box, and I couldn't feel my legs. I couldn't feel my body, just jittery. I was like, I'm not prepared for this. Why am I here right now? <laughs> uh, first at bat. I saw three pitches and struck out and I was like, wow, I don't know if I'm ready for this. And then uh, I get another at bat later in the game and I see two pitches and I'm 0-2 again. I'm like, are you kidding me? I was like, whatever, I'm hunting the fastball. He gives me a fastball and I hit a double down the right field line. And ever since then, it's just been whew, deep breath and, and when you gave that initial uh, flexing of the arm? The initial flex, the initial chest beat, uh, it, it, everything became normal again. My body relaxed. Uh, all the nerves and jitters were gone. I got my first hit, and I was ready to, ready to make a name for myself. Yeah, absolutely. So talking about that first year, you know, it says you're batting 385, which is, you know, you're clearly in a nice groove. The team had ran off 16 in a row. I mean, before we talk about the fact that it got cut short, I mean, I mean, how good did it feel, you know, that you were playing well, that your team was playing that well? Felt great. Um, I mean, obviously, well, there's 56 games in a regular season, and obviously we were not going to go 55-1, and one, but there is not a person in the world that could have told us we weren't going 55-1. and one. We truthfully and honestly felt like there is not a game that we could lose. We, we had this mindset of, we're going to beat everybody we play. And I, it's one of the most talented teams I've ever played on, the most confident teams I've ever played on, the most fun teams I've ever played on. 
we had everything going for us in the right direction. And for, for all of that to happen to us, it just, it was, it was a huge, huge curveball. Yeah. I feel like it had to have stung more for y'all. You, we've obviously talked to all these different players and their seasons got cut short, but, you know, talking to you and Doug Nikhazy, I mean, yeah, y'all are, y'all are a different circumstance. I mean, to, to be running them off like that and to have it cut short, it stings just a little bit extra. And, you know, by all accounts, man, y'all were on your way. So, but that's the good thing, you know, obviously we're going to break into what's going on now. Y'all, y'all found a way to, to pick back up, but I wanted to ask something before we got into all that. And it's a topic that you came in on that we were discussing before we started recording. Do you feel like Ole Miss has the best uniforms in college baseball? Without a doubt. Man, I, t- I tell you, I have to agree. You know, it was a discussion. You know, Randy can jump in right here if he wants to. You know, we were talking about the smoky grays of Tennessee. We were talking about the blackouts of Mississippi State. But those powder blues are just – man, they're special, brother. Yeah, they, they hit different. They, uh, <laughs> they're beautiful. And it's just we, we all feel a little bit more clean, a little, a little more fresh when we put them on. So I just hope that when y'all do play State this year that y'all are wearing the powders and they're wearing the blacks. That's what I'm hoping for. When y'all play Tennessee, I hope they're in the smoky grays. I want all clean threads all the way through. Yeah, then it's yeah, it's gonna be a good uniform matchup. Yeah, it's good. It's gonna be about the uniforms as much as the, the play on the field. I can see it now. No, um, but you know, let's talk about Arlington. Obviously, me and you talked a lot before it happened. I was devastated I didn't get to go, but I didn't miss a single play. Um, online got to got to watch y'all, and I mean, phenomenal tournament. And it starts off. For you personally, I mean, I, I told you, you know, you were in an 0-2 count, you know, had uh, bases reduced, correct, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, and I was like, oh, man, this is a moment here. I was like, man, I, I, I want to see him just absolutely stroke it. And you were in the 0-2 count. And I was a little nervous for you. You battled back. And then, man, there it was. You hit it to the gap. Man, tell me about it. Uh, that, that at bat was – it was nerve-wracking a little bit, the, especially coming up first bat of the season in that situation. I knew I wanted to start on a good note and want to get the team out to an early lead. Um, I think the first pitch I saw was a fastball away. It was a ball. And then I was like, this guy's struggling throwing strikes right now. He's about to pipe one. Here it comes. So he throws me, I think, a 97-mile-per-hour fastball right down the heart of the plate. I took – I almost fell to the ground. I took such a hard swing. And I uh, missed on that one. So I had one-one count. And – I thought next pitch was going to be an all-speed, but he came back again with fastball, fooled me, so uh, got me one-two count. And so I was certain I was getting all-speed the next pitch. I did. It was a ball low and away. I spit on it pretty well. And what I thought that was going through my mind was he saw me take that pitch well. He knew I was sitting on that pitch. He's going to try to fool me with fastball again. And I guessed right. He tried to fool me with fastball. Left her middle away part of the plate and – I think it was 96 mile per hour fastball and I sat on it and I drove it into the gap and everything, everything was just, it was so loud, but it was so quiet at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, what wasn't quiet was you beating your chest. And as you talked about, I I mean, you got to calm down. You're going to hurt yourself. You got a long season ahead, but to Daniel's point about, you know, the hashtag I'm looking all over Twitter because I'm following as the game. And, man, you're trending immediately for, for not just the hit itself, but going out there and just beating your chest like that. That's just – man, that's good stuff. That's good entertainment for everyone. And so, uh, you know, obviously y'all win that game. You know, I know you struggled a little more, but 
you know, it's a team game, and I know ultimately you want to win. And the fact that y'all took down TCU, Texas Tech, and Texas under the circumstances that, you know, we obviously had all the snow, you didn't get to practice as much as you would, you know, the travel was a little harder. To go in there and do that, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that y'all deserve the number one ranking. How do you feel about the overall experience there and about where y'all are at? The experience there was one I'll never forget. Um, that The ballpark there, Globe Life Park, the Texas Rangers ballpark, was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Uh, we walked in thir- or Friday night for our first team practice, and we're all in awe, just kind of like starstruck. Like, this this is a facility now. Like, this place is unreal. Um, it was great. The whole weekend was fun. We – we like to pride our, our program around having a lot of fun and we try to have a bunch of energy. And uh, I think we did. We, we had a lot of fun, we had a bunch of energy. Our pitchers were outstanding. Our bats struggled kind of the whole weekend, honestly, besides one inning from every game. I think every single game we had one inning where we put up four or five runs and it kind of just defined the game. Um, we faced some good quality arms though. Um, it was really, really a good time. Uh, I enjoyed it and some uh, experience I'll never forget. Man, I tell you, I know you had fun because, you know, Ole Miss is really good about putting pictures out. You know, I talked about the one beating your chest, but you got one where you're coming up out your shirt inside the dugout, man. What was going on? So before every game, after we uh, we stretch in the outfield, we throw, we have our team meeting in the outfield, and we say our prayer. We Every single person on our staff, is in the dugout, kind of creating a little tunnel for us. And then the players run through it. Everybody's getting hyped, jumping up and down, just getting ready. And uh, then all the players line up for the other players. Not So I come through there, and I'm a big guy, and obviously everybody's throwing shoulders, trying to get me get me riled up, get me going, and they rip my shirt off a little bit. And it's something we do every game. And if you're ever at a game, you need to look down the dugout for the game because it gets a little wild. I love it. That's that's awesome that y'all have that much fun. I'm not shouldering you, Ben. <laughs> hey, but I'll tell you, you want to know what Randy's favorite moment of that whole uh, weekend was? It was your boy, Leatherwood, um, waving bye-bye to Texas Tech. What would you think about that? Well, that, was, that was actually Salmon's, Cade Salmon's. Oh, was Cade, it? Yeah, he got put in defensively. But, uh, yeah, so Cade Salmon's is one of my good friends. We actually played summer ball together this past summer in Kalamazoo, Michigan, for the Kalamazoo Growlers. Um, so Leatherwood wears a bunch of chains. He has a bunch of big chains that hang around him. And the whole entire time he said he was getting railed out there by those Texas Tech guys, just say, talking about his chains and stuff. Well, Salmon's gets put in defensively for him later. He's like, Salmon's, come here, come here. He's like – throw this big chain on. They'll talk crap to you the whole time. And Caden's like, okay, cool. <laughs> so Cade throws on this big chain, and they're just talking so much crap about him, looking up his parents' names, looking up all this stuff, trying to find anything on him, saying all this stuff to him. That, that last ball was hit to him, and he said there, that was the first thing on his mind was to wave bye-bye, and he just turns around and does it. And we None of us knew about it until after the game. We saw it on social media. Everybody else was running out of the picture and congratulating him. Oh, the, the the text came through immediately from Randy to me. He goes, did you just see him wave bye-bye to them? He was loving it. He's my guy, man. He's my guy now. I had the wrong guy, though, because Leatherwood had been there the whole time. That's who I thought it was. Right. 
But I, I tell you, Ray or Daniel, actually, you know, I got to ask you a question because he just said that we talked when we were talking to Cade Belosa. He was talking about how they started talking about family members, and then he just said that what's what's up with that, Daniel? You played baseball. What's up with these people looking up family members and talking trash? Isn't there like a a line that should be set? No, man, no line. Uh, I mean, if you're if you're warming up in the pen, which is what what I was doing, you're gonna get shit from everybody like in moms grandmas sisters you name it nobody's off the table there's no rules out there man it's 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 cutthroat it's prison rules anything goes and ben you could probably attest to this man with cell phones and the way that information is gathered so quickly like there's some smart some some really smart hecklers out there that are, that are very creative with, with what they use to to get under your skin i'm sure yeah i've got i've got a number of direct messages on instagram this weekend <laughs> uh but you know what man you're part of the number one team in the country you're stroking the ball so they can they can say whatever they want well i got a i got a fun question for you you know I want to talk about something because you ended up saying that you ran track, which makes a little more sense now. I didn't know that before coming into this question. There was the play where you there ended up being a throwing error to first, and you made it to third, and you were absolutely rolling, man. I mean, you got wheels like that. It takes me a second to get going. Uh, getting to first base, I'm not the quickest, but once once I get going, it, there's no slowing it down. I mean, even try, the, trying to get them to stop, that's the hard part. Yeah. I mean, the ben, comment. I, I, I'm sorry, Jim, but my bad. Ron, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say the commentator was even like, man, look at the dude fly. Ben, I was talking to a guy I work with, and he's friends with uh, one of the coaches at Northwest. And this guy said, and it, it shocked me because just your size alone, he said that you were the one of the best or smartest base stealers he had ever had on his team because of you reading the ball, man. And, and I got to be honest, man. I watched you play this weekend, too. Jim was real good about showing us the stats. When you got to moving on that mic, once that train's rolling, baby, it's move, it's going. Yeah, I uh, I know I'm not the fastest, so I I, I work a lot on base running, um, outsmarting the opponent. And at junior college, I can get away with it a lot better. I can still do it a little bit here, but I steal on pitchers. I don't, I don't steal on catchers. Pitchers are dumb. Catchers are smart. They know what's going on. So uh, I do a lot of leave, leaving a little bit early, uh, just doing whatever I can, trying, basically trying to steal on the middle infielders as well, delay steal. It has nothing to do with the catcher, basically. It's the whole can you, can you repeat what you said earlier about the pitchers being dumped? Nah, I re- I just... We're going to edit that out. <laughs> it's going straight out. <laughs> All right, so I got one more question, then I'm going to let Daniel host the game with you. Obviously, with the as good as your team is, the expectations is, you know, basically championship or bust. But for you personally, do you have any kind of goals or expectations you have set for yourself on the season? Um, I'd, li- I'd like to have multiple-digit home runs this year, uh, double-digit home runs. That That's a personal goal I'd like to have. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. As long as we're winning, I'm going to be happy. If you if you don't have double digit home runs, you're coming back on this show and you're gonna say pitchers are smarter than catchers. All right, Bill. Deal. Deal. I hope that for your for your sake, I hope that you don't have to do that because I'd like to see you hit hit over you know double digit home runs. Um, I I'm curious though, 
you you guys have really high expectations. I, I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm sure you guys are aware of, of what's at stake and, and where you're at, especially now that you're the number one team in the country. Like, what does coach tell you guys as far as what that number means? Or does do you guys not even talk and not even acknowledge that number? You just go out and you just play. We, we acknowledge it. We, uh, we know it's there. And I mean, the whole past weekend in our team meeting before we'd leave the hotel, be talking, we'd be like, you're the number three team in the country. You're playing the number four team in the country. You're playing the number seven. You're playing the number 10. Like, these are good teams and all this stuff. Um, I mean, it, it's hard not to acknowledge it when you're the number one team in the country. It's going to be talked about. It's going to be all over the place. Uh, it's just something we don't really let a number like that get in our way. We're going to come out there and play every single day like we always do. And if we keep winning, it's going to be hard to knock us out, number one. But you lose a couple games, you're going to get pushed around a little bit. And whatever happens, happens. But like y'all are saying, it's it's true. It's it's Omaha or bust for our team. And we've all talked about it. That's been our goal ever since last year. It was our goal last year. We got shut down. We're bitter. We're sour about it. And that's our goal again this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I would imagine though, you know, when when you when you think about it in comparison to everybody else, there's some other teams out there that are saying the same thing, um, and because of that, I think that fuels the competition, especially what you're going to see in conference play. But I, I got to ask you, what are some some games and some series and some teams that you guys look forward to playing? Um, at first, what you were saying about the. Uh... Other teams saying the same things. That's actually something we talk about at the beginning of the year. Um, there's about, in our mind, there's about 10 or 12 teams that can truthfully say that. I mean, you're always going to have your Cinderella story. Always the team that comes out of nowhere and makes it to Omaha. But in our mind, there's 10 or 12 teams that have a true shot at Omaha when the gates open. And we feel like we are one of those teams to open the season up. So it's, it's a good feeling for us. But what you were saying about uh, series this year, We've got a bunch of fun, exciting series at home this year. We we actually host Arkansas at home, which that's a big one. We're looking forward to that one. We host Vanderbilt at home, another huge one. Looking forward to it. We host LSU at home. Um, and then another big one. Well, there's two more big ones. Or actually, basically every one of the SEC is a big one. Uh, at Mississippi State, a big one. And at Florida is a big one as well. So we're excited about all of those. So what? What's the mindset? Winning, winning two or three, or winning the series, winning the weekend, or you know, is it inevitable? Like with the stack schedule that you guys play, like you're gonna have to be able to handle the adversity of maybe losing a series. Uh, we we want to win every series, of course, and we have. Coach Bianco does a good good job of getting in our heads what we want to do. So we, we have Friday night opening day, and we have Saturday. We call it swing day. Swing day for us means you're either 1-0 and you go into Saturday and it's swing day and you're going to win the series. Or you're 0-1 and it's swing day and you're going to swing it back around and even it right back up. And always Sunday is our energy Sunday. We want to bring energy to the park and we want to be flying around everywhere on Sundays. It's 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 interesting that you say that because I think Sunday game three is probably in a, in a lot of series the most important day. But after two, 
two days where you put forth so much energy into trying to win and, and there's pressure and the games that you you have to win <clears throat> that you it, it's probably hard to get the energy that you need for a Sunday so I, I'm, I'm assuming that energy Sunday is to make emphasis and give you guys a reason to to really focus in and zone in on, on that day alone yeah, uh, Sunday is it, it's a bunch like that because you're drained from the weekend. You've had two long days already, and you're doing everything you can to get game three under your belt and to make it go in the win column. And so we emphasize energy. We, we want to have a bunch of energy, bring everything we got to get that either first win, second win, or third win on the weekend, whatever it may be. It's, it's always the most – one of the – we think Saturday is the most important day, but Sunday is almost your, it's just your second most important day because it's, it's one of those three things. You're either going to win a game, you're going to win the series, or you're going to sweep. All right, so my last question before we hop into this game and just, just you know, have some fun. When you're not in the lineup, what give give people an insight as to what you're doing in the dugout to prepare because I'm assuming a guy like you, if you're not in the game, you could be called upon to go in and hit it at, at any moment. So what are you doing in the dugout to prepare yourself for the moment in which, hey, you're going you're gonna to hit for this guy? Okay, so I haven't dealt with that yet this year, which I'm sure it will happen a bit. I've started all three games, but last year it was a big thing for me. I would, have, I would DH some games, and some games I'd be on the bench, and I'd have a pinch hit opportunity later in the game. But at the beginning of the game, I'm always there. I'm – rooting all my teammates I'm getting into the game I I really like to get into the game big time when I'm not in it and about when the fourth or fifth inning rolls around I start picking up my bat and no matter the score of the game I know I'm always going to have a shot at a pinch hit so I pick up my bat and I kind of just start holding my bat for a few innings and in between at bats uh, from teammates in between innings I start stretching out a little bit and getting ready and focusing on the pitcher that's in at that moment, seeing what he's doing, because I might be getting a bat against that pitcher. If they've got a guy on the pen, I'm seeing if it's a righty or a lefty. I'm looking at our pitching chart and I'm getting, seeing what numbers, what information we have on each pitcher. Um, it's a lot more than just, oh, there's a pitcher getting there and hit for me. It's a lot of studying. It's a lot of knowing what I'm going up against, what their tendencies are. And I like to be detailed and know what's next and have an idea of what I'm going to get when I come up to the plate. And I'm assuming you're having conversations with the boys as they, you know, you know, they might, they might strike out, they might get a hit, but as they come back in the dugout, I'm sure you're having conversation as to what they're seeing, types of spin, are they picking the ball up? You know, is it, coming in hard as he's staying away there's just a number of different things that I'm, I'm sure you guys are talking about um is that all that helpful or are you just a guy that's like you know I'm gonna study do my thing because I know what I'm doing it works and, and I'm gonna go up there and do my thing right um so that is all helpful to me so first off I never talked to a left-handed hitter on my team about that type of stuff I'm not a lefty. Lefties are cheaters. Pitchers treat them like cheaters, and they, they get pitched completely different than I'd get pitched. So the main guy I talk to right now is Tim Elko because he's a big guy. He gets pitched very similar to the way I do. So after an at-bat Tim has, I'll go up to Tim, and I'll be like, all right, what did you see? Uh, what are you getting? 
what's the fastball doing? Is, is it cutting? Is it sinking? Um, Curveball? Is it loopy? Easy to pick up out of the hands? Is it sharp? Is it is it late? Tight slider break? A lot of change up? How's it working? What, what which way is it moving? All that stuff. It's very detailed for me. I'm a very detail oriented person when it comes to baseball, and I like to just know what I'm going to get. And we keep a pitching chart. So I know what he gets pitched in certain accounts. And whenever I come up to bat, I see what I get pitched in certain counts. I compare them together. Usually 89% of the time, they're very similar. We get pitched very similar. And it, it's nice to know. We have all these things that help us out. And I use them to my advantage. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's great insight, man. And that's that's really the, the types of stuff that we try to pull out of you guys like when we talk to y'all because man we got kids of all ages parents that are that are listening to the show and they, they want to know those things like how do I get my kid better like how do I become an elite level player um, especially these juco guys these high school guys you know that that are working their way up and they're really stud players but um, in order for them to be better, they got to know what the guys at the next level are doing. So I, I appreciate you, you giving them some insight and, and digging a little deep and, and just being open and honest with the, those conversations and what you guys are, are seeing in the dugout and doing uh, as a team. So, but man, let's, let's move on to some fun stuff before we get out of here, man. We're going to play a little game called this or that. You down? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so it's real simple. I give you two options. You choose one or the other. Their only rules are you can't say both and you can't say neither. So typically I start on on, on just a, a little easy, like, you know, probably like a, a underhand, you know, meatball pitch that you can drive out of here. But but tonight, man, like with all that's going on, I got to throw you this and, and, and it's going to it's going to hit hard and we're going to go go move fast. So. First question, who is most influential to their sport? Michael Jordan or Tiger Woods? Tiger Woods. Why? <laughs> you can't just give well, answers, man. I, I'm more of a golf person than I am uh, basketball. And I think it's incredible what that man can make a golf ball do. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, Michael Jordan is great and one of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest of all time in basketball. But I've played basketball and I've played golf, and golf is way tougher, way tougher in my opinion. And what Tiger Woods can do is phenomenal. Fair enough, fair enough. All right. Um, when it comes to social media, are you a snap or are you an Insta guy? I can't say both. Nope. Can't say both. And, and the reason I asked, cause I, I see, I see you on the Insta. I, I see what's going on on there. But if you oh, say I, snap, if you say Snapchat, we really know what's going on. So. <laughs> uh, I like Instagram more. So we'll go with Instagram. There you go. Mom must be listening. All right. So if you're going to go on a date, are you going to slide into DMS or are you going to ask that person face to face? <laughs> said insta because i I'm, I'm i'm assuming the 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 next um, obvious answer is i have slid into the dms for before but i prefer asking face to face all right so g give me an example let's 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 set the the, the tone all right 
what does that DM sound like? Is it like, hey, it's me, the, the silverback. Swayze silverback on the mic. Don't, don't let my beating of the chest fool you. I got a lot of heart in there. <laughs> if I ever refer to myself as the silverback, then you know there's a problem. <laughs> um, oh, so face uh, to face? Face to face. Down. Yeah, man. Look, we all the female athletes that we've asked that question to on the show, they all say the same thing. They want guys to court them and, and do face to face. So we're, we're throwing you some, some, some knowledge out there. The girls want the face to face. So, I mean, you got the flow, you got the look, you got the personality, man, this should, should be knock that out the park. No brainer, man. You got that. All right. So if, if you're, if you're wanting to communicate with folks, are you calling or are you a text guy? Big call guy. I, I prefer a call over a text any day. My man, me too. All right, last question. And this is the money question. This is the question that will tell us everything we need to know about Ben Van Cleve. Ben, are you taking money or friends? Friends, 100%. Randy, drop him with some knowledge before he gets out of here. You know, actually, Ben, we were in each other's DMs, and, and we knew that. We said at the beginning of this interview – this guy is going to say friends over money, but I feel like you almost convinced me to do it with the way that you were talking about how you made great friends here and you made great friend teammates. And, but at the end of the day, these are two of my very best friends, my brothers, and I'm picking money all day, every day. Over hey, hey, Ray, hey, Randy, you know who his teammate was? Reed Harding, who said money with no problem. Damn, Ben, he didn't even say I, you. I he didn't even think he about said, you. He said, Ben, who? He didn't. He didn't even refer to you as as the silverback either, and I found that disrespectful. <laughs> hey, bro, I was when I was doing my research on you, Ben. I, I saw your nickname. It didn't say anything about tanks or gorillas. It said Benny. That's what I found. I've been called Benny, Benny before. Benny Benny V is what junior college was. Benny V, honestly. Okay. So, what do you like better, Tank, the silverback, or Benny V? It's all, it's all been di different phases of my life. It's hard to say what I like better. I think Benny V kind of uh, stuck a little bit better, but my teammates here at Ole Miss now, I mean, they'll, they'll jokingly call me the silverback, but they call me Cleaver. And I don't I don't know why they, they just want to call me Cleaver, but I get called Cleaver. <laughs> I actually like that. But, you know, at least you got a, you got a better nickname than your boy. You know, Doug at least came on here. He admitted it. He said he embraced it. But at least you ain't the boogeyman. <laughs> all right ben man i want to thank you dude this was good this was fun uh appreciate you coming on and we definitely want to have you back and and with all hopes man we hope that you guys are hoisting up a sec championship and who knows if things fall right you guys play well at the right time you might be host, hoisting up a, a ncaa championship brother well i thank you all so much for having me i really I, I got a challenge for him. I need him to, you know, Mississippi State owns the leaderboard on this podcast. I need him to do something about that if Ole Miss wants to start claiming bragging rights. Yeah, man. So so we challenge every school, really, because every every athlete that we have is affiliated to their school. And really, it's, it's a competition amongst schools to get the most shares, the most listens, the most downloads, all that stuff. And to be honest, man, Ole Miss – they ain't number one on the podcasting boards if you if you get what i'm saying all right 
they're, they're not even the best team in Mississippi when it comes to podcasting. So I, I think the that Juco boys. Yeah. Oh, sure enough. Northwest got number, got number three. Yeah, that's right. So oh. there's the challenge It's thrown down. And, and if I know the competitor that you are, man, it, in, in no time, you guys are going to be on that top spot for us. Hey, uh, Benny V, I got a, I got something for you, too. When you take the top spot, can we get, like, a little FaceTime video of you beating your chest? I, I can make that happen. Yeah, I'll, I'll make that happen for you. Nice, nice. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to plug our sponsors. When we come back, switch over and see us on the Locker Room app where we talk college baseball, Fernando Tatis Jr., the KD-less Nets, and Carson Wentz. Welcome back to the In Off the Bench podcast. We got some headlines for you. Uh, we're courtesy live on Locker Room. Uh, we're doing something a little different this week, checking it out. We're going to try to get some some engagement with some of the other fans out there. So, you know, guys, I want to I want to start off with talking some college baseball, Jim, and I'm going to direct this towards you because, you know, you had the opportunity this this week. Um, to check out a lot of action. It wasn't the the action. You didn't see it the way that you wanted to, but you were able to catch a lot of big time college baseball down in Arlington. Talk, talk to me about what was going on down there. So obviously you had three teams from Texas ranked in the top 10, three teams from the SEC ranked in the top 10. The clear cut best team, Arkansas has still got to play right now, but it's got to be Ole Miss. And obviously the rankings came out today as them number one, uh, rightfully so. They ran off 16 to end last season. And so to start off winning three games uh, against the top 10 this year, you got to have them up there. Um, you know, we had Doug Nikhazy on as a guest. He kind of had a rough start. But other than that, I really can't find much to nitpick on them. Uh, Leatherfield or Leatherwood, their right fielder, he looked real good. I know that was Randy's probably favorite moment of the, the weekend other than the bat flip in Tennessee was him waving bye-bye to Texas Tech after uh, he caught the final out. But their lineup is is definitely stacked. Mississippi State, um, they almost went 3-0, and but uh, McLeod looked good. Landon Simmons, his four-inning performance with 10Ks was probably the most exciting thing of the weekend. Of course, their number two, Bednar, uh, got scratched with neck stiffness. And then uh, I'd, ha- I'd be remiss if I didn't shout out Rowdy Jordan and Luke Hancock, you know, Randy was messaging me in real time a lot. Them two dudes was just absolutely hammering the ball. Uh, so, so let me ask you this, though. Looking back on, on, on those games, if you had to give a team a, a grade, let's, let's say an A, a then maybe a team that was kind of average, give them a C, and then a team that kind of was disappointed that, that got an F, who, who would you vote for those teams? All right, from those from those six teams, and like I said, um, you know Arkansas and um, let's see, TCU, yeah, is is playing right now. But I mean, Ole Miss would get going in order. Ole Miss would get an would get an A. I would give Mississippi State like a B plus. Um, Arkansas, I can only I can only go B because that first run or that first game, even though they won, they gave up a rem- ridiculous amount of runs. Um, that they were probably the worst pitching performance per any game in the whole thing. Um, I thought TCU was pretty solid. Yeah, um, they're one and one currently. Um, they beat Mississippi State. Their pitching staff looks really good. 
I'd give them a B as well. Everybody else down below, um, the team from Texas especially, like, you know, Randy talked about they may round themselves out. They should. They normally would. But, I mean, if I'm just to go off these three games, man, I'd be doing them a real service by just at least giving them a C. Um, I just, they just weren't very impressive. And then Texas Tech, um, I saw a lot of elite players. They just – I don't know. They looked like maybe it was early for them. And I could say the same thing for Texas. But, I mean, Ole Miss gets the A, and I would give Arkansas, Mississippi State, and TCU the Bs. I got you. So was there any one, one player that you felt was a standout or, or any one player that you thought you would see a lot more of but but didn't? Um, I mean, the, it's got to be the guys I just mentioned. Um, you know, the if I'm to give guys credit that maybe weren't expected to, you know, Rowdy Jordan's batting in the leadoff spot. And so to have four bombs over the weekend – out of the leadoff spot, and he's actually known as, like, the little guy. They actually talked about that a lot. Um, he was he was very impressive. And then, you know, that Landon Sims performance, I mean, Daniel, you were a pitcher in college. Coming into that stage, bases loaded, nobody out against the number three ranked team, and you strike out the side with just straight gas. I mean, what does that got to feel like? Oh, that's that's what you live for. I mean, you you want the opportunity to go out there and shove it up somebody's ass, and like, no better way to do it than to have a lot of confidence of the coach putting you in with bases loaded, saying, "Hey, the expectation is you get us out of this jam." And you go out there and you say, "I'll do you one better. I'll strike out the side." Um, but yeah, I, it, I think as a pitcher, that's what you live for, especially if you're a guy that's in the pen that's that's looking to get in the game. Yeah, and then one other pitching performance, it's 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 two guys put together. Arkansas yesterday against Texas, Peyton Pallet or Pallette, depending on how you say it, and Caleb Bolden, um, they had eight innings pitch combined. They split four each, eight Ks for one of them, seven Ks for the other. They only gave up one hit and two walks between both of them. So talk about a team effort and getting it done, just absolutely dealing. So got to give them guys their due. Yeah, you know, that that whole whole setup in Arlington, you know, despite the the snow that, you know, was was delivered to a lot of the country and despite COVID, they actually put on a good showing. They had a good event. Um uh, had some really good baseball, some really good teams, um but I think the SEC holds king right now. But um, there was another team that wasn't there that uh, you know, Randy could fill us in on that that looked pretty pretty good themselves. Randy, talk to me about the UT Vols, man. We got a chance. I know you and I watched on ESPN Plus. We had a chance to watch a few of those games. It was getting a little chippy. Um, what did you think, you know, from a, their initial three-game stand with Georgia Southern? It was just good to see college baseball again, right? So it was good to see the boys get out there. You know, last year started out 15-0, and lost a couple to end it, and obviously gets cut short to – you know, and obviously after we've had the three Tennessee players on, we're rooting for those guys, just good people. Uh, saw one of them just have a, a huge moment hitting a grand slam, and Liam Spence, our Aussie friend, the shortstop, you know, the little guy, said he wasn't a power hitter on our podcast, goes out and blasts one to dead center. So it was huge. I, I love the bat flip. You know, Gilbert, give me that all day. Uh, there was chippiness. Uh, he's, there was two bat flips in one game, and I'm here for it. Give me all the bat flips and then some. Yeah, I think – you know, 
that's what college baseball is all about. Like, especially when you're playing. And I think I mentioned this to you guys on the side through text is that Georgia Southern is a school like regionally close enough to UT that the guys that aren't quite good enough to go to Tennessee will go to Georgia Southern. And so I, I could see a little bit of rivalry and a little bit of bitterness um, from Georgia Southern towards uh, Tennessee. Um, but I'll say this, you know, Georgia Southern, despite the first game, came out the second and third game with with some moxie. They came out, they scrapped, they, they fought hard. They were in the game all the way to the end um, both both times. But I'll ask you this, Randy, is is being close in those two games something that, that Tennessee should worry about or it's just early and they're just trying to find their way? No, I don't think it's anything to worry about. Plus, I think that Georgia Southern could be – you know, a team that's made, that's in regionals, maybe not hosting, but I think you'll see them playing late. I mean, you know, they're playing a pretty competitive Sun Belt, you know, with Coastal Carolina. I don't think they're favored to win it, but they're favorite. They're, you know, second and third and a lot of stuff I've read. So I think that's a good team uh, that, you know, and, and plus, like you said the other day, it's the first series. The biggest thing was let's figure some things out, see where we are. That and you were you're on the road to start the season, which is something. Um, you know, I also want to shout out Chad Dallas because you know, as you talked about Liam, we had him on the show. The cheese, yeah, the cheese man comes out there six six innings, no hit action, had seven Ks through that. Um, you know, he got pulled early by pitch count. They're trying to trying to protect early in the season, and then I wanted to say something about the Gilbert bat flip. You know, I went back and looked at it in in you know context because we obviously saw it, but you know, they were down three to one. And then he hits the bomb to tie it up, and then he and it got really chippy, like you said. And then he hits the bomb again to go ahead. And you know, if you're gonna pimp it, that's the time. I mean, you hit the tying bomb, and then you hit the go ahead bomb when they were talking smack. Like, let them know. Absolutely, I, I, I think you you gotta. It's a long season, and those guys have been waiting for a really long time to get back on the diamond. And I think you could tell like those emotions were high and those feelings were, they were all in their feelings. So, I mean, it was good to see. Um, I'm interested to see how the, how that plays out when they start SEC play and start some of these conference games. But um, overall a really good weekend of, of college baseball and an exciting way to, you know, open up the season. Hey, Dave, Trent, I'll tell you, we should, we should all toast a glass though to, to Miami, the U for taking two games from Florida. That's a fact. Absolutely. Um, you know, Florida came in with, with high hopes and big expectations and, and not that, that Miami doesn't. I think, you know, you would be fooling yourself if you thought Miami shouldn't be considered one of the top teams in the country. Oh, um, they are. Absolutely. They, they Yeah, they, they, they're always a name. They're always going to be in the conversation. Um, and for them to, to take two, two from from Florida, that's that's Big for a lot of reasons. One is it, it evens the playing ground. It, it opens up the recruiting and and shows that you can compete at the highest level because, I mean, prior to the season starting, Florida's a favorite to win it all. So when you can do that early on, it just gives you a lot of confidence moving forward. Um, but, you know, moving over to Major League Baseball, speaking of, of confidence, Randy Tatis, he signs – a 14-year, $340 million contract. I, I got to ask you, you're a money guy. Is it is that worth it? Is he worth it? Look, man, I've told you, I tell you this all the time. You're worth what you can get paid. I mean, if you, somebody wants to give you that bag, and the guy has done nothing. I mean, at 22 years old, he has been 
better than anybody could have ever imagined. I mean, 14 years and $340 million is a whole lot of money in a long, long time. Me personally, I don't think I would want to give that up on the GM, but I'm definitely not hating on Fernando Tatis Jr. for getting the bag. Absolutely. I mean, you, you get it while you can. I mean, nothing is, is ever guaranteed, especially at a high level of, at, at any sport. Um, but what what I will ask Randy is, what does that do to the value of other free agents? Are they looking at his 14 years, 340, and going, hey, man, like you're going to have to pay me, or does he really hurt the market uh, signing such a long-term deal? I don't think it hurts. I think that he got this deal because of looking at everybody else's right. You're looking at the Bryce Harpers and the Mike Trouts and all the way back to A-Rod, these Albert Pujols, these long-term several hundred million dollar deals. I mean, he's not the first one to get it, and he certainly won't be the last. Absolutely. I mean, I think the the, the latest to get something like that was, what, Bryce Harper? I think Mike Trout signed his after, but, yeah, either way, Bryce Harper and Mike Trout, they're all right there together. You know, and, and Mookie also. Mookie yeah, got Mookie. to be right. That's a great point. So when when you think about guys like Clayton Kershaw, who's about to come up for for contract, is is he looking long term and, and kind of looking for a place to end the career and make big dollars, or is he looking for something big with a a short term where he can kind of you know move on if needed? Well, he's certainly not twenty two anymore, right? No, not at all. So you can't say I'm going to give you 14 years. But, yeah, he'll still get paid big money short. Yeah, so, Jim, I'll ask you this. What, you know, with them, with the Padres spending so much money and throwing basically the the entire bankroll at Tatis, does does this put a lot of pressure on them to win basically now? I mean, I think so. I mean, when you look at everybody they picked up, when you're talking about you, Darvish, and then, I mean, remember, before um, the playoffs last year, you know, or before the trade deadline, so I say, I mean, they they moved 10 guys. Remember, we talked about it real time, and they have retained most of those guys. Those weren't guys that were just leaving immediately. And so they have put in place all the pieces. They went and got pitching, and then you solidified your best player, the problem is what we always talk about. You, it, it sounds great, but then you look at the Dodgers across the way, and it's like, can we still even compete with the team that's in our division? So um, the pressure is definitely there, but I still don't know that the expectation level can actually be to win it. Yeah, and that's what I look at too. Is you know, can they? You're right. Can they? Can they compete within the division? But can they compete in the National League in general? Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I I don't know enough right now about what's about the what the Padres have. I know they're a fun team. They're young. They they got talent. Um, but is this next second season going to be what we consider that sophomore season for a guy like Tatis? And and he's he might get exposed on some things now that now that some people have seen him. Um, you know, only time will tell. But I. I'm I'm intrigued. Um, you got pitchers and catchers reporting. You had a, a couple guys sitting out. You you know, Randy, you 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 got your boy on the mound with David Price. I mean, talk to me about that. Like that's that's got to be unbelievable, right? Yeah, what a moment for Kendall, man. I'm talking to his dad today. As a matter of fact, just to to be that young and to be invited to big league camp is one thing, but then to be walking in 
you know, to the stadium in spring training next to David Price, just learning from him. And that whole lineup, I mean, you look down the Dodgers' whole pitching, the whole starting rotation is just filthy. It's murderer's row. And to have a chance, you know, he probably won't get to stay up there. But just a, what an opportunity for a young kid to learn and just try to soak up everything you can from all those guys. Yeah, I was reading um, over the weekend, Dodgers have potential or the odds – to win 104 plus games this year, um, are, are you are you taking that bet? Uh, yeah, 104. I think that that's yeah. I think that they could very easily win 100 games. And another thing to think about with Kendall Williams that we're talking about is they didn't like draft this kid to like go sit him in the farm league. They traded for him. I mean, they traded a you know a starting pitcher for him. So I mean, just another crazy thing that two years ago you're pitching at IMG in Hoover, Alabama, and now you're you're playing on a team that could win 100 games, just won a World Series, and is the favorite. Hey, I, I'm excited. Jim, you, you sent us over a video of, of Nolan um, with the Cardinals the first day. Um, talk to me about that video, and, and is, is he excited? Are you excited as a Cardinals fan to, to get a chance to watch him? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, who is not excited at this point? We know what he's done. We've talked about it, whether it's offensively or defensively. And it's just really it comes down to when you talk about him and Goldschmidt being on the corners, find a better duo. And so when you're just adding in that kind of defense and that kind of offense, that kind of leadership, I mean, you've got to feel you've got to feel good. I'm actually um, confused on why the early predictions by the MLB have them finishing third in the central. It really doesn't make sense to me when you make that kind of, you know, pickup. Yeah. But I mean, I think they still obviously have them almost winning 90 something games. It might've been 88 was, was the, was the number, but I mean, the, the problem is, is that when you play in a stacked division, somebody has got to be left out. Um, it was a few years ago when, what was it? It was the Rays, the Yankees, the Red Sox, all like with almost 90 wins. And, you know, somebody got left out. It I feel like the Blue Jays out. were even in the mix that year. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I mean, it, it was a, a, a four, four team like just gauntlet. Um, but, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how things shake out. You know, I, I'm sure we'll get to talk in, in depth uh, with, with baseball, you know, as spring training moves through and as they move closer to opening day. You know, as we move closer to opening day, that means we get closer to the end of college basketball. But I do want to talk a little bit about college basketball. We got Gonzaga and Baylor still holding holding steady at the top. But, Jim, Michigan – Michigan out of nowhere, well, not really out of nowhere, but they had a big win against Ohio State, and now they're vaulted up to number three. I mean, are are they considered now a top-tier team, or are they still on that second level trying to be what Gonzaga and Baylor are currently? I believe they're on that top tier, and we've talked about what a great job Jawan Howard's done, but you know what? They have a chance to really solidify and cement the very argument. I looked at their last five games, and boys, they still – now they're at home, but they got number nine, Iowa, and number five, Illinois. So, I mean, they could really show that they're battle-tested. Win or lose, really, these games can only benefit them and continue to make them stronger. I believe they're elite already, but I think this kind of schedule just only makes them more ready for 
for March Madness. The question will be the the number four spot, right? I was looking at it, and you know, I just mentioned Illinois in the five spot. They they could really use that win over Michigan to kind of make a statement for them. But Ohio State, Illinois, Alabama, Oklahoma, Villanova are all kind of notched right there with the same record. Both, or I mean, all in strong uh, conferences. So that number four spot is the one that's really up for grabs. That fourth number one seed. Yeah, um, I think even from that fourth number one all the way through, you know, the four number twos and a couple of the three seeds, like it could change on a nightly basis. It's just going to depend on how things uh, turn out with conference tournaments and how these last few games of the season um, pan out. But, I mean, you got to keep in mind, too, guys, that, uh, at any given moment, COVID could strike and a team could not be playing games. So, like Memphis? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, just like Memphis. You know, we'll, we'll get to them. You know, before we get to Memphis, I want to talk about the, the Vols. Randy, it wasn't but about, I don't know, three or four weeks ago, we were talking about the Vols, you know, potentially being one of those four number one seeds and, and, and playing extremely well and being a tough team and maybe having the potential of winning it all. And now – we're at a point where we're not even sure if they're going to make the tournament. Like, talk to me. What's what's going on over there in Knoxville? Man, you know, there's losses that are bad losses, and then there's losing a, a horrible Kentucky team by 15. I mean, that was just – they've had some piss-poor efforts. You know, Ole Miss can't lose that game. I don't care if it's on the road or on the moon. Can't lose to this Kentucky team. And that's not to say this Kentucky team isn't talented. I mean, they are, but – you know, and, and to point it out with Tennessee, it's it's not the freshmen that are really letting you down. You expect inconsistency from them. It's the Fulkersons and the and the Ponds and all those guys that have just disappeared, you know, on one side of the court. And, you know, defense is great and all, but it's not going to win you every game. You have to be able to put the ball in the basket, as elementary as that sounds. Do they lose confidence um... – being a five or six seed, knowing they should be a one or a two? I don't think. That's why you you got a guy like Rick Barnes. And for everything everybody will say about him, he's lost a lot of games he shouldn't. He's, you know, underperformed with the talent he's had. All that's true. But I think he can get these guys believing at the right time. But they're they're definitely trending down. I mean, there's no other way to say it. They're trending down, and he's got to figure something out real quick. And maybe that means some guys that have been getting playing time for years don't get as much as they did. Yeah. Um, do you do you wish that there was that Memphis rivalry still? Do you think oh, that would? Well, you think that would re-energize like a, a UT Memphis game right about now? Would that re-energize this thing? Oh man, yeah, and it, for both teams, right? You know, Memphis is, is needs a win from a top twenty-five team. Tennessee needs to get a quality win as well. They're feeling kind of down on themselves, and what better way to right the ship? But then playing each other. And they would energize the fan base too, right? Morale's kind of low in the city, as you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a big advocate of playing that game. I don't know what the the, the cost-benefit is or the, the detriment is of, of winning or losing that game with the exception of recruiting. But I think it's an important game for the city um, to have bec- for this reason right here. Because you're you're looking at UT who's struggling, they could use some kind of something to to boost some momentum. And Memphis right now hasn't played a game in over two weeks, and they're scheduled to play one Wednesday. And 
for everything that I've read, they're on track to play Wednesday night, but they've missed some really, really big games. Jim, I'll talk to you, man. Is, is this some – are they going to make up these games? Is Wednesday set in stone? Are they going to get back on the court? What's going on? Yeah, I think they're going to get back on the court. As far as making up the games, I've heard different things, so I don't know. I think ultimately you're going to get your Tennessee-Memphis matchup because Memphis is going to slide in. They're going to beat Houston. They're going to run the table. They're going to get a number 12 seed. They're going to match up with Tennessee. It's a five. They're going to beat them. They're going to send them home. Randy's going to be devastated. Me and you are going to throw a party, and that's how it's all going to happen. Just remember uh, definitely. Said. Would not be devastated. You know, I root for Penny all the time. I would not be devastated by that. I can't believe that's actually your response as opposed to that's the most outlandish thing you ever heard. Well, we just <laughs> lost to Ole Miss, who is not very good, and we just got beat by Kentucky by 15. So anything is possible, my friend. Jim, let me ask you, on everything that I read about bubble teams, Memphis is not even in the conversation at all. Should should that be something that is worrisome, or is it just the fact that they haven't played in in a bit, and so it's they're not on people's radars? I don't think it's that they haven't even played a bit. I think that's an you know indictment on how bad the American is this year. When Wichita State and Cincinnati aren't relevant, and it's just Houston, I mean that's an issue. So then you got Memphis not playing on top of that. I think that's all it is. I think you know it's just Houston and everybody else is just not there. Well, I mean, what I'm looking at now has it, – it's bubble teams and it breaks it down by conference and it has Houston as a lock and then it says work to do and it states Wichita State and SMU. Um, both are teams that Memphis has beat. Memphis split with SMU and they beat Wichita State. So, you know, pending another game with Wichita State. So how are they in the conversation but Memphis is not? The the SMU one would confuse me more. Wichita State, even though we I firmly believe Memphis is a bigger name, they should be. Um, but you know, Wichita State did make a lot of runs more recently, so maybe the name does kind of hold a little more weight. But the fact that SMU's in there and then Memphis is not, then yeah, because I hadn't seen that, that definitely makes it very concerning. So maybe it is because Memphis hadn't played. But if they get to play these games and and they beat Wichita State. And especially if they beat Houston, I think that whole thing will change. So, I mean, they just got to get back on the court. And when they do, they got to take care of business. We talked about it before. Last time they had a layover, it worked out well for them. So, who knows? Maybe it will again. Yeah, that's when they instituted Randy's Lion offense. And now they're, they're, <laughs> they're rolling. Um, but, Randy, you got to know you're, you're on the inner circle with Memphis folks. Are they going to make up these games? Wouldn't it be like seven seven games in 11 days or something like that to make them all up? Yeah, I don't think they are. I mean, everything that I've been hearing, and I don't know if, if maybe Daniel Green, the bottom, wants to comment about it. Um, if everything I've heard is there's no way they can make up all these games, right? It's February 22nd. They're scheduled to go into a, a bubble-type atmosphere, you know, in a couple weeks. There's just not enough time. But I do think that with Memphis, I think more so now, it's about you just got to knock off some quality wins, at least get some momentum going into next season at least. Yeah, and I think it starts with getting healthy and being back on the court Wednesday and, and winning. Uh, I don't A letdown Wednesday night would be detrimental to everything that you, you've been talking about and everything that you're trying to do, and it would probably put a dagger in basically all, all the hopes and – 
hard work that you put in over the past uh, month. But Randy, I, I got to ask you a question in, in regards to recruiting and in regards to coaching. So we, we've had the conversation that Jawan Howard is what Memphis fans wanted Penny Hardaway to be and to have done at this point being from, starting at Memphis. Who's a better recruiter and who's a better coach? Oh, man, I, <laughs> that's a tough one. So we'll start with recruiting first. You know, Penny came out and really just set the world on fire when he first got there. Uh, but some people could point to the fact that he really went out and got guys that he coached in high school. So was it a flash in the pan? Obviously, Penny's name, everybody should know it. But do these young kids really know? Do they remember Penny at Memphis? Do they remember Penny with the magic? I mean, I think it's kind of been a reintroduction. But how many college coaches have their own shoe line? I mean, I think name recognition does get him some. But as far as coaching, man, it is – I could not sit here and say as much as I want to that Penny's a better coach than Dewan Howard because I've watched the improvement and the development that his team has made over the past couple seasons, and it's undeniable that they put in the work, him and his staff, not not just him, obviously. So do you think is – it, is it because Jawan has had more experience as a coach at a high level than Penny? I mean, I think that's probably fair to say. I think that both of them know basketball. I think that we're – I think what Penny – and it's the expectations are so high, right? I don't know because we're not in Ann Arbor. What were the expectations? Obviously, Michigan's a storied brand, and we all know about the Fab Five, and they've had a lot of success even, you know, recently. But was the success – the we Memphis kind of lives and dies by Memphis Tiger basketball, for lack of a, a better term. I mean, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the city the city is up when the Tigers are up and they're down when the Tigers are down. Yeah, I mean, you remember back when it was talking about that Memphis-Tennessee rivalry when they were number one and number two, you know, in the Calipari, Bruce Pearl, Derrick Rose, all the CDR or Supreme Bay, whatever he's called these days. <laughs> I mean, that was that was just as big as the freaking, you know, Tyson fight coming to Memphis, in my opinion. Absolutely. Um, you know, and I, I hope we get to to that point where the the stage gets set and we, we move to like, hey, this is the showcase. This is the city, because I think right now we're in that kind of weird transition phase where we're waiting for the Grizzlies to turn the corner. We're waiting for the Tigers to turn the corner. They have everything in the arsenal to do that. It's just, come on, man, like, let's do it. Let's get over the hump. Let's get there. Let's start doing stuff. So um, I'm, I'm excited. I'm just hope, hopeful that they get back on the court Wednesday night. Um, continuing with basketball, let's talk NBA. Randy, help me understand this. The Nets go. They, they, they take down the Lakers. They take down the Clippers. Are the Nets better without KD? <laughs> no, and I, and I said that in jest. Obviously, no, they're not better. But, I mean, that just goes to show you that you can find a way to win with two other great superstars when you have three of the top ten players. I mean, only one of them's out. The other two are still pretty damn good. And for all that we have personally said about James Harden, I mean, he when he is engaged and actually wanting to be on that team, he's special. He's a special player. Absolutely. Um, Jim, what do you think? Did the, did the Nets 
Are, are they someone we take seriously? Can they win it all? I mean, their defense is a major concern, but uh, the point that y'all are just making, if the three of them are making buckets, then, yeah, they can beat anybody at any time. The question is, when you talk about getting to the playoffs, can they do it consistently over the course of a series? Um, but the thing I'll say about Harden, you know, as much as I like to talk bad about him, you know, watching him when it comes playoff time, he will play a little more defense. And I have definitely seen Kevin Durant play more defense uh, when requested by the Warriors. So they may be a little lackadaisical now. I think playoff time, they will turn it up a little bit. But if they're getting buckets, then yeah, they'll be hard to beat, period. So, Randy, I, I want to turn our attention. I'm, I'm looking at a score right now. Mavericks 65, Grizzlies 46, halfway through the third. Give me an update on the Grizz, not just this game, but in general. Uh, well, you know, everybody, including myself, was stoked, right, to finally see Justice Winslow in action. You know, we even had our first locker room room about that. And uh, I think I've seen some good things that he does. Just talking about Justice for a minute. You can definitely tell that he's forcing it a little bit, doesn't have his, his game legs under him yet. Uh, but you can see flashes. I, I mean, I really hope that he can become that uh, wing defender that we've so lacked forever. And if he can just be a – I don't know if 3 and D is the right word because I think his ceiling is higher than that. But uh, these last two games have been rough, guys. And, and, you know, that's going from last game, okay, we're missing a lot of guys, Grayson Allen. Um, you know, we're, we're a ton of guys, Kyle Anderson. And now you got all those guys back tonight. You're playing a Mavericks team who's really struggling as well, 13 and 15 on the year. Defense is atrocious, no Porzingis, and you're getting beat by 17. That's not a good look. Yeah, it's it's a level of consistency that, I mean, it, it's exactly what we talked about on our, our last episode was that, you win one, you lose one. You win one, you lose one. You might go on a run where you win five or six in a row, but not. It's the consistency after those those five or six in a row is just not there. And my I biggest think, concern, I'm sorry, but my biggest not, concern I, right now is the three point defense. I mean, they're giving up threes at a record pace. Right, like tonight, the the Mavericks are 11 for 27, 40 percent from three. Tim Hardaway Jr., five for seven. Josh Richardson, three for five. I mean, you can't have that. Yeah. If you're if you're a struggling shooter, you're you're wanting the Grizzlies to come in town because they're they're giving it up. Um and it's it's not even it's not even like it's not even like they're playing defense on it. So um Jim, I'll ask you, man, were expectations too high for for Justice Winslow when he returned or, you know, it's early. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt and we'll, we'll see what he has to offer. The thing is, it should be early and you should give him the benefit of the doubt. But these people have been so hungry and waiting after the way it went down last year when you thought you had him and then you didn't. Um, I think people are impatient and it, I could see it both ways, man. I could, I could see how they should be patient and just let it, let the time, you know, let it work. But I could also see why they are impatient because you gave up players, you got excited, you thought you were going to see them, then you didn't. Now you expect to see something big and you're not seeing it yet. So, I mean, I could see on both sides. But if it's me personally, I mean, I got to give them time. Speaking One of thing. giving folks, go ahead. 
I want to point out something that's that I've been watching. Luca and I had to look it up because I wasn't sure. He's been missing free throws all night. He's one for seven from the free throw line, and his team's up 17. I mean, that's – you're not taking advantage. He's one for five from three, one for seven, and he's still got – his stat line is still 14-7-2 with two steals. But he has four turnovers, and you're not taking advantage of it. Every single player that has played for the Grizzlies tonight has a negative plus or minus. That's uh, not a good recipe to win games. Um but I will say we're talking about consistency. We're talking about being patient. Jim, are the Westbrooks and Wizards, have they been patient long enough and now they're finally figuring it out? I mean, yeah. I would I would normally say maybe they were just getting lucky. But when you win four in a row, three of which were against really good teams, I mean, they, they beat the Blazers, the Celtics, um, the Nuggets, the Rockets. I mean, three of the four of those are legit, and they did them all in a row. The thing is, Westbrook has been getting his triple-doubles. Um, Beal has been scoring at an outrageous rate. It's always been about can they play defense and can others contribute offensively. And finally, you got Hachimura and you got Bertans um, helping. And then, you know, Randy messaged me the other night. I mean, for the last few games, Robin Lopez has been in the highest and the plus category, and that's not because of his points. He's bringing it. Uh, defensively and getting rebounds. So, I mean, they're coming together. I mean, I'm not going to still set the bar high for expectation levels, but they're giving quality basketball for, for Washington to watch, and they're giving, you know, Beal and Westbrook a chance to at least do something with the talents they have. I mean, for them, just to make the playoffs at this point, considering they started off, what was it, like 4-17 and 17 or something, I think would just be great within itself. So, Hey, Jay, Jay brought up a good point about the Hornets, and we talked about this the other day in one of these rooms about, you know, LaMelo Ball and, you know, just kind of looking it over. Are we going to – are we buying that the Hornets are going to be a playoff team this year? I mean, yeah, because the, not only do they have the potential, but when you look at, you know, the East, and we've talked about this, when you look at the back half of it, there's nobody who – is just really awesome. Like, I mean, it's wide open. When you look, I'm looking at the standings right now, and ironically, I don't know what's happened to Toronto and Boston. Um, they're 15 and 15 and 16 and 15. But other, when you go down below that, I mean, every team is below 500, and some of them by a lot. And, you know, like a team, for instance, you know, Washington, for instance, 10 and 17, they are two spots out of the playoffs. I mean, so to say that Charlotte would make it, that's not far-fetched at all. I mean, I would actually probably lay money on that. Yeah. Jay, my man, l- let me ask you a question. Are, are you bringing that to our attention because you're a Jazz fan or you're you're a Hornets fan? Uh, well, hey, By the way, first of all, what's up, you guys? How you guys doing? Oh, we're good, man. Thanks for, for hopping on, man. Yeah, no doubt, man. Um, I'm, I'm, ne- I'm neither, honestly. I'm, a, I'm actually um, a – in Vegas right now, and I'm fucking kind of pissed because I was I was thinking about taking plus thirteen and a half Hornets today, and I didn't. Oh, it's always the best we don't make, Jay. <laughs> Jim like, can definitely tell you about that. Yeah, no, <laughs> like, dude, I should have took that man plus thirteen and a half, man. I don't think they're gonna win it because you know the Jazz are still still a better team, you know, and it's still only second quarter about to be halftime, but. Uh, I don't know if they're going to cover that 13 and a half right now. 
But Jay, let me let me flip that back. I said, are the Hornets a team? Are we buying the Jazz as a top contender in the league right now? Ah, oh, man, I don't know, man. To be honest with you, because here's the thing: um, if we're talking about like teams in the NBA that have like good chemistry, they probably have the best chemistry in the league. Because you know that core, that core they've been playing for the last what three, four years. I agree, Jay. But let me tell you something. As a Grizzlies fan, it's not always about that chemistry. Sometimes it's the Jimmys and the Joes. Exactly, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Do they have that? I mean, I don't know. Do you guys? Do you think Dominic Mitchell is like um an all star perennial perennial all star or like a a superstar type of player? Well, you know, a couple of years ago, I would have. You know, me and Jim, we we kind of. His coming out party was unfortunately against the team that Jim roots for. It was the Thunder when Russell Westbrook was there. But I don't know. I think he's a perennial all-star. But is he the kind of guy that's going to elevate your team to beat, you know, murderers row? Whether you got to go against Kawhi, whether you got to go against this CP3, Devin Booker, then LeBron. I just don't see it happening series after series. I think he can get hot and win you some games. I just don't know if he can win you four series in a row. You know, I'll I'll put I'll put an example of somebody who maybe he hasn't got there yet and showed it last year because I want to see him completely take over a series like Jamal Murray did. I need to see it when it matters. You know, you said he did it in that first round against Oklahoma City, but then he disappeared in the in the next round against a much bigger team. I need you to see you do it against the best, and that's why I was impressed by Jamal Murray taking that step last year. I Absolutely. I mean, I. The, the way I see it is that the the Jazz are in a position to to get a lot of attention. Now it's what do you do with that attention? And when we talk about Donovan Mitchell, if if he wants to be considered a superstar, then in the playoffs he needs to show that he's a superstar. And the Jazz are going to have to make a run at this. Uh, you can't go uh, can't go twenty four and six and then just kind of lose the first series of, of, of a playoff set and, and think that you are in the conversation of, of being elite. You're just not. Exactly. I think, honestly, man, I think that as I've said, even with like with the Bucks, man, I think they just need that, that, that extra other all-star type of player, you know what I mean? To get over the hump. Cause I don't think Donovan Mitchell and just, you know, the, the court, <laughs> I don't think this is going to cut it. Not against LeBron and the Lakers and PG, Kawhi and the Clippers. You know what I mean? I totally yeah. agree. Yeah, I mean, and you're you're seeing that. I mean, the the Nets are an example of that. They're it's about stocking up, getting guys. I mean, you know, when the Warriors are running running rough shot over everybody, I mean they they had some killers, just killers on the team and. Like as Randy can attest, as and even Jim, as much as our teams would would go and get beat by them, like you kind of had to respect what they were doing. Um, no, absolutely guys, right. I mean, and that's I mean the chemistry. The Grizzlies had some of the best chemistry that ever, right? And it just didn't matter at the end of the day if you can't put the ball in the basket. Like I said about about Tennessee earlier. It's going to be tough, man. But the difference between this this Jazz team and, and the Grizzlies is they do have a guy that you think you can give the ball to and go get you a bucket in crunch time, you, you think, and that's Donovan Mitchell. That's what you're paying him to do anyway. What about Mike Conley? I think we've we've seen the ceiling <laughs> with Mike Conley. 
She's what about Bogdanovich? Yeah. Uh, hey, I love Donovan, like, man. I, I really do. Though, yeah, I, li- I like those players a lot. They're solid, but are they that? Though, are they like? I don't know, man. When it comes to the playoffs in the seven game series, the superstars prevail. Absolutely, it's a, yeah, especially when in the playoffs too. Jay, to your point, the game's going to slow down. Buckets are going to be harder to come by. It's going to be more physical. And is that the guy you want? And, and, again, we're hoping that it's not a bubble scenario where there's no fans because I will forever contend that last year you saw a lot of role players that played like superstars because they didn't have that pressure on them like they normally would. Exactly. Tyler Hero. The, that's hey, what get I'm... off my boy. Get off my boy, T-Hero. No, he, All right, guys. Yeah. Let's not – I was just going to move on and talk NFL. I don't want to beat up the NBA. We got to – uh, all-star break coming up. We're going to get, you know, as we go through this, um, we're going to do some mid-season awards with NBA and, and, and kind of reevaluate our picks from the beginning of the season. But, you know, as we transition to NFL, Randy, I, I got to start with you, man. Colts fan, you finally get a quarterback. Is this good or bad? Or And tell me why. I think it's great because – you know, I know a lot of people, Eagles fans, NFL fans, especially casual fans. I see it all over Twitter and Facebook. You know, Carson Wentz is trash. Carson Wentz is this. And his team won a Super Bowl without him. And, and all that's true. And I think that you saw the Eagles, especially Nick Foles, catch lightning in a bottle that year. They played great. You can't take anything away uh, from that. But, you know, you go back and you look, man. Carson Wentz, and you compare his first five years to Andrew Luck's five years. You know, I shared that with you. And uh, they're not that different. It's the, the difference being that Carson Wentz threw drastically less interceptions. Last year was a bad year for him, there's no doubt. But if you look at his five years, let's just talk about it. 2016, 3,700 yards, 16 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. That's not great. But then the next year, takes the leap, 3,300 yards, 33 touchdowns, seven picks. The next year, another 3,000, 21 and seven. 2019, this was just two years ago. 4,000 yards, the first Philadelphia Eagle to ever throw for 4,000 yards in a season, 64% passing, 27 touchdowns, seven interceptions. And then last year, we, we know what it was. He was down. He had 57% passing, only 16 touchdowns, 15 interceptions. Everybody says that he's just walking turnover. I, I just don't see that. I think people are being a little hard. And, of course, quarterbacks, right, you got the most – pressure on you and you win and die by the quarterback but I think this is a great move for the Colts and it's certainly an upgrade not I'm not talking about Phillip Rivers but over anything else they had the other options are Jacoby Brissett or Jacob Eason do you think do you guys think that Carson Woods is gonna like rejuvenate his career in uh, India or what I do because let me think about it Jay he's only 28 years old I mean the guy's still got a ton of time left we're seeing Tom Brady play until he's 67 but you know Tom Brady's a special case, though. No, I'm not. Yeah, you know, no, definitely not comparing uh, Carson Wentz to Tom Brady's greatness. By any, I think Tom <laughs> Brady's the greatest of all time. I'm just saying that I think that Carson Wentz is still young enough that he can absolutely rejuvenate it and play another seven, eight, nine years at a high level. Uh, yeah, hey, yeah, I think so Wentz, too. Wentz has a ring now. I mean, I don't know how. Debatable on whether he helped him, how much he helped him get it, but he's got one. I mean, um, they, he, he also he also played the games in, in the regular season too to get him that point to that point too, though. That's the thing. Very, very true, Jim. My my boy JJ Watt. I was I, I I'm I'm not gonna say where 
is J.J. Watt going to go? I'm going to say, who deserves J.J. Watt? All right, so I narrowed it down. And regardless if you like the Steelers or not, you got to say that you want that to be a possibility to play with his brothers, right? Like, so to go to a place that's defensive-oriented and get to play with family members, that's got to be up towards the top. And then the other three teams ahead, because the whole thing is you want them to be on a contender, right? So you Here comes the Browns. Here comes the, the, Browns, the, Brown, the Browns are on this list. You better believe it. No, but they're the last team on the list. The Packers I had next. I mean, the, they have been knocking on the doorstep. Their defense has been, you know, mediocre through this. It would only be right that Aaron Rodgers would get a star like that on the opposite side. He did play at Wisconsin, as Randy mentioned last week, so be kind of a homecoming for him. That would be cool. The Bills, who were also knocking on the doorstep, who could use some defensive help and have the cap space, that would be a great landing spot. And then lastly, as you brought up, the Browns, because I believe they are going to continue to take steps forward, and I think somebody like that could really put them in the mix. All right, so if you're J.J. Watt, you're picking up the pen, you're signing your name on a contract for who? Tampa Bay. Yeah. No, man, dude, I don't, I don't see him as that much of, I don't, I know he wants to win a ring, but I don't think at that cost, I, I actually think if he had a choice of anywhere, I think he goes to Pittsburgh. I don't think so. They've got too much. I looked this up. They're not, the reason they're not on these lists is because of their cap space issues. Is I don't think cap, they can if, even I mean, make if, it work. If they're off the list, then I would, then I would say the Packers, because like I said, homecoming and then, I mean, they're right there. The Packers have been right there back to back years. Could you imagine Sue, JPP, Vita Vea, Devin White, Avante David, JJ Watt. Uh, could you imagine? Like, Damn, they that's just, they, they just, still wouldn't. They still that's wouldn't an all the South, that's an just like every other year. Dude, that's an all-star team on the de- defensive end. Hey, yeah, I tell right. you what. I tell you what, Daniel. I don't even know who the quarterback of the Saints is going to be, and I don't know if JJ Watt will end up in Tampa Bay. But I will bet you right now that the Saints still win the South because it is their division and they own it four years straight. Oh Lord! Oh now, now you might as well you might as well pick the Saints and the Browns in the Super Bowl, man. I, I, I might, might, I might what, with Taysom while, Hill at the, with Taysom Hill behind center. Oh while boy! We're, while we're on it, man, let's let's just go there now. According to your boy Jameis Winston, Drew Brees is going to announce retirement tomorrow. I, I I I don't know, but does that sound like Taysom Hill's a guy, or does that sound like Jameis Winston's a guy? I mean, by a lot of what I read, Jameis Winston's going to be the guy because they want to keep Taysom Hill in the same role that he's in. I just hope that Drew Brees does actually retire. I, I, there's a lot of sentimental guys out there, fans, you know, media people saying, you know, we should want Drew to come back, and even if it's an abysmal season, he deserves that right. No, that's bull crap. I'm, I don't sign up for anything like that. I am grateful and thankful for everything he's done, but I am ready to move on and compete, and I don't care if it's Winston or Hill. I saw Breeze deteriorate, and honestly, he shouldn't want his career to go any further down the, the drain to end. Like, that was such a bad way to end as it was. Do you want it to get worse? The only thing that might give me hope is what I'm currently seeing on TV right now, Daniel. If you would have asked me a month ago, Randy would tell you, I would have thought Westbrook's time to retire, but I just watched him take LeBron to the rack. So maybe Breeze can reinvent himself. 
Look, he can't throw it ten yards down the field. And he's got the <laughs> he's got the best receiver in the league that doesn't want to play. And like, it's it's it, man. Like he needs to go ahead and 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 read read Tony Romo's book, how to how to do well in the booth, and and, and call it a career, man. Because I, I want to back up for just a second, DB. All right. I want to go back to J.J. Watt for a second, and we'll get Jay in to talk about this too. I know everybody knows the name. I know that it's J.J. Watt, and everybody thinks he's great. Does J.J. Watt being on your defensive line, if you're the Packers or if you're the Browns or whatever, does he really take you to the next level at this stage of his career? Okay, well, let me let me jump. I want to jump on one of those teams real quick first. The Browns could use that kind of veteran leadership alone. So I think – he benefits them even with just out his play. Would would you not agree with that? Yeah, I think he can be a veteran leader without a doubt. I just don't know if what are you going to have to pay this guy? Is he is he trying to get the bag at this late in his career? Because I, I mean, his whole career has been predicated on his athleticism, and let's not forget the dude has had a lot of injuries over his career too. I mean, according to y'all, he's going to go to Tampa Bay for the for the veteran minimum and get him a championship. So. Hey, but- well, he's going to go get on that Tom Tom Brady rehab program, and he's going to be good. How old is J.J. Watt, by the way? Good question. Uh, I'll look it up. Because it seems like he's been playing in the league forever. Yeah, or, and, and to, to add to that, you know, like Randy said, he's hurt all the time, so you kind of can't gauge how long he has been around because he's here, that he's not there, and back and forth. J.J. Uh, is thir- he, 31. 31. It's, it's, you're right, though, Jay. He seems like he's been in the league since, you know, 89 when he was born. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, uh, he's still he's young, but at the same time, in NFL years, that's not that young. He's really not. He's not that young in NFL. Because, I mean, what's the average life expectancy of an NFL player? Three and a half years? I mean, obviously, you got some numbers skewing that. But, I mean, I, I just don't know, man. I don't know at this stage of his career, if J.J. Watt is the difference maker between being right there and taking you over the top? Well, I mean, what what could happen, too, is he just becomes a third a, a third down guy and comes in on third down every play and, like, prolongs his career. He gets on TB21 and, and makes it happen. There you go. Um, so, Randy, while we're talking about, you know, guys that could be moving – Deshaun, Dak, are things still hot? They seem to have cooled down. Like, I don't know what what's going to happen. Like, what do you think is going to happen? Well, right now the Texans are still playing hardball, saying, "Hey, we're not even listening to offers. We're keeping this guy." And I think they're going to do that until the very, 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 very last minute because they don't want to give up that leverage. They don't want Deshaun Watson after they gave him the huge deal to think you can just force your way out. Uh, with Dak, I think he's going to resign. He's going to get the money from, you know, Jerry Jones has pretty much said as much. Um, but with Deshaun, it's going to be interesting how hot and heavy it gets, you know, as we go into June and July. Yeah. I, I, as a Cowboys fan, I hope Dak resigns and gets paid what, whatever it is that they feel like he needs to be paid. But, DB, hold I up. Would feel better. Do you think Jerry Jones has made any phone calls to the te- to, to the McNair family? Yes, absolutely. I think those conversations are being had. Um, not 
with any seriousness. I think I just think Jerry's a guy that likes to know what all his options are, and he's going to explore all those options. He might make a terrible decision, but I think he's going to have all the options in front of him before he does anything. Well, he wants a star, right? And Deshaun Watson is a star. And I think that he has been loyal to Dak, and so even after he had the injury, he said, we're going to re-sign him. But if he had a chance to get Deshaun Watson, and as Dak is a free agent, to me, he'd be foolish to pass that up. And I know Daniel Greer down there at the bottom, he's also a big Cowboys fan as well. So, you know, I hate him for it. But, I mean, maybe he wants Deshaun over Dak. I- yeah, I, I don't know, man. Like, at, at this point, there's there's nothing wrong with Dak. When you're looking at stats and numbers, like, what has he done that says, I don't want him as my quarterback, other than the fact that he hasn't won a championship? But I Well, it's about do- so much more than that, though, DB. It's not about what have you done that, to not deserve it. For Dallas, you're America's team. you got to – prove every game why you deserve to stay there right it's there's no more pressure in any team than the Cowboys but I I could easily defend the fact that who who has been coaching this team like I I think that has a lot to do with it or is it who owns this team and manages this team well, I mean, that's 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 the million dollar billion dollar question. Yeah, absolutely. In my opinion, I got a question. Uh, so do you guys think that if Jerry Jones steps down as the owner and just like gives it to whoever, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't know if it's their son or whatever family and he just steps away. Like you think that the Cowboys could like come back up? Yes. What do you guys think? Absolutely. I'll let DB talk about it because he's an actual Cowboys fan. Yeah, so so to answer your question, yes, I think there's a lot more potential and upside with Jerry Jones taking a step back. The problem with a guy like Jerry is he's like Vince McMahon. Like, I don't know if you watch wrestling, but oh, yeah. Vince McMahon has his hand. It may not be fully in, but it's in. So I don't think Jerry Jones is the type of guy that can can move out of it all together. I think he's always going to have a little piece of it. Um, and he's always going to have some type of say, and he's not going to relinquish that until he he's no longer here. And because of that, like, I still think it's going to require a lot of talent to make it happen as opposed to moves and coaches and, and development to make it happen. I think it's just going to be players coming together, just playing out of their mind which is possible. They have the right people to do that. Um, but you got to get better on the defensive side. Um, they got to have a quarterback um, that's healthy and a guy that's there long-term. Daniel, on the Texans thing, so I, I went through and I was looking while y'all were having that discussion. I was looking at all the NFL teams and the quarterbacks, you know, just to just to refresh myself to make sure I wasn't crazy in my list. And when you're talking about age, so obviously take like Brady and Rodgers out of the mix. Dude, there's only two guys that I would want ahead of Deshaun Watson, and that's Wilson and Mahomes. Like, I wouldn't take Josh Allen over him either. So, like, if I'm Houston, you already let, to me, the best receiver in football go in Hopkins. Are you really going to let, in my opinion, the third best quarterback in the league go too? Like, Unless they're ready to give up a king's ransom, then you just make him play, and if he's disgruntled, he's disgruntled. What if he sits out, though, Jim? What if he says, I'm not reporting 
I'll just I'll just collect this money, take my fine, and sit on in my house. It depends on if you're like me or like somebody else, because you know I'm a stubborn bastard. I just make let him sit there, and I'd lose just on principle, just just so he would not get anything. Jay, what do you think about that, man? My bad, you guys. Um, you're talking about uh, the Cowboys getting Deshaun, right? Yeah, we're talking about if you're the Texans, do you let Deshaun sit and just stew on it, or do you just do what you got to do to get make a move happen? I, if I'm the Texans, I'm, I'm, I'm getting rid of – you know, I'm not, when I say get rid of him, I'm, I'm saying it respectfully. You know what I mean? Because they need – Deshaun doesn't want to be there anymore. I'm sorry. Well, and the, the fact of the matter is, is they gave away their best receiver for pennies. Like – just go ahead and get rid of the quarterback and 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 restart this thing. Um, well, problem, to problem Jim's is, point though, if you do if you do keep him though, and now you got him signed for several hundred million dollars, and you go four and twelve, is it worth it to keep him under those circumstances, Jim? I mean, I don't know. Like, I feel like somebody's got to because of his his value. Somebody's got to be willing to to give up for that, right? I, I would, personally. But, yeah, I mean, I would stick with them if they're not going to give it to you. I mean, why not? You're willing to screw yourself and get rid of Hopkins. Screw yourself and go 4-12 with Watson then. Right. I mean, well, the guy that got rid of Hopkins is gone now, though. That's what they're going to say. I can't get past that. I don't care who did it. The, the, the organization is tied to it. And if you get rid of Watson, too, like, I mean, Houston might as well just move the team out of town. Oh, man, they already did that. That's true enough. Now we're stuck with these Nashville yuppies. Oh, oh God. Let's not get started on that, guys. Let's uh, let's move into roundtable last call. Jim, I'll start with you. Any headlines, anything that we missed in the world of sports this week? No, I think we I think we did a good job of covering everything. Like you, you know, we talked about you know college baseball got underway, NBA, where you know we're really getting into the thick of things. Um, you know, obviously we've been talking about the football moves. I'm just I'm ready for I'm ready for baseball to start up, and I'm ready for March Madness to get here because you know that's I feel like that's when is the best time of year, right? I, obviously, we're big NFL fans, but when you get to March Madness and when baseball really kicks off and then you're right there at the NBA playoffs, that's the time. So, I mean, I, I feel like we're so close to the best time of year. Absolutely. And we got we got some guys down down in the waiting room just, just listening. It, Daniel, Garrett, Narcine, Travis, if you guys want to bring anything up, chat it in the comments. We'll bring you in. You can talk about it, but. Randy, moving to you, man. Anything that we missed? Anything you want to bring up? Yeah, I got to give a shout-out because they've been getting crushed all year, especially Coach K. What a huge win. Uh, they've won several in a row. I think they've been, they're have been they on a four-game winning streak, got rid of their most talented player, and it could have been addition by subtraction. So got to give a shout-out to Duke and, and Coach K. Are they getting, getting it right at the right time of year? I don't know if it's enough to get in the tournament, but at least it gives them momentum. They have a ton of talent coming in next year, so it looks like this will just be a blip in the radar for for Duke, and they're back at it. Hey, real quick, I want to ask you guys a question. What do you guys think about, like, these powerhouse schools like Duke, Kentucky, and 
North Carolina, like, not even ranked and struggling this year. Randy's got a good answer for the reason why he believes that is. He's been talking about it for a few weeks. Yeah, so, I mean, I think that they didn't – a lot of these – they're so young is really my theory on it, and they didn't get the opportunity to practice together. I think that matters a lot more uh, with youth than it does with these older teams. Um, obviously, Gonzaga, you know, they're, they're, it's not an anomaly. They're not young. They have some older guys, a good mix. I just think for teams like Duke, for teams like North Carolina, Kentucky especially, I mean, you're just seeing youth take over, and a lot of times that was to their advantage because you had a long practice and you could get better as the season went on. You don't have that now. You're missing games. You're not practicing like you always have. And I think it's made all the difference in the world for team those young teams. It's kind of, like, weird to me to see um, Duke struggle because, I mean, if you think about it, like, Duke's like the Alabama of college basketball, right? Yeah. No. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, like very, it's very strange. We Jay, we had this on, on our podcast. We've talked about this for weeks now. And, and we're in the belief that college basketball is way better when teams like Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina, Kansas are, are at full speed and at full strength and they're top teams in the country. Um, I will say it is refreshing to see, like, the Baylors and, and the Gonzagas holding steady, holding strong at number one and number two. Um, it, it just gives some diversity and some some just a different feel for, for us going into the, the tournament. Um, but I think, you know, next year, like Randy said, we'll, they'll be back at it. It'll be, you know, back to normal status quo and we'll be, we'll be good. Um, college basketball will be considered, you know, up and at its best once again. But well, Jim, Jay, let me ask you a question. This is for Jay and Jim and DB. Y'all go in whatever order you want to start with Jim. Gonzaga has always been kind of the underdog. Oh, it's cute to have them there, but they kind of fall off at some point. And, I mean, they've made it. And, you know, it's a solid program. Mark Few has done a phenomenal job. If they do now, for they go on, they win this thing. Say they stay undefeated. Is there going to be some belief around the country that there should – not an asterisk, I don't want to say that, but, you know, a little doubt to say, you know what, they won it, but it was really down and above, you know, the coronavirus and all that. Is it going to have the same validity? It, it probably won't, and, it, and it's a shame that it'll be that way. I don't think it – I mean, because, you know, Daniel's talking about how seasoned they are. We know how much we love Mark Few as a coach, and they're always in the mix, like you said. But I think if they get it done, people will find a way to point and say they probably wouldn't have done it in a normal year. And I think that that sucks because I think they would probably be in the mix either way. But it is going to – I mean, when you talk about how March Madness is going to break out, when you talk about lack of fans and then we talk about that experience and everything else, I mean, I think it all does favor them. I mean, if I was to go lay money right now, it would have to be on them. Well, well I, Jay's in Vegas. He can lay it down for you. Yeah, yeah Jay, make down. my bet. I, but I think, Jim, Jim, I do think, though, yeah, I, I think that you could also argue the fact that this could be the hardest year to win it all. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's the thing. Everybody's had their different things. We've seen this in the other COVID sports. You know, we all agreed. NBA last year, people wanted to talk about putting an asterisk on it, and we said that was the hardest-earned championship, period, to go through those conditions. So, you know, that's where we stand. But, unfortunately, we're not necessarily the majority. 
I think I think a championship's a championship no matter what. It's no different than we've talked about injuries before, right? The war of attrition. If you beat another team because their best player went down, that's not your fault. That doesn't mean you put an asterisk next to it. So, I mean, if it's because of COVID-related conditions, it is what it is. You you win under whatever circumstances are presented in front of you. Yeah, I, really, I really want to see Gonzaga, like, take it all this year. I mean, for the past, like, what, last decade, they've been top five – you know what I mean? And yeah, no, we're all with we're all with you. It's like at some point, at some point, they're gonna have to like get over the hump here. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I think it's it's this is the year. I think if if they if Gonzaga doesn't get over the hump this year, I think people will start will stop giving them as much credibility and start just saying, well, they're the team that can never win at all. Um, you know, which is is kind of the case right now. But if it's not them, I want it to be Michigan just because of what we've been talking about prior to. I don't know how many people were listening, but the Jawan Howard story and and taking a, a school, you know, we've talked about it, you know, a school that is used to be known for football, but is clearly a basketball school now um, and taking this team and, and winning a championship. Like that's a that's a, a great story that I would love to see play out. Yeah. Jay, oh, yeah. any anything that we missed? Any last calls or anything that you you, you want to talk about before we we bounce off this thing? Uh, no, nah, man. Uh, just real quick, the Hornets are up by nine. <laughs> Go on, uh, then, Hornets. Okay. Hornets, Hornets up by nine, but like, man, yeah, I support your guys' uh podcast, man. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna follow all of you guys right here. Yeah, do it, man. We we drop every Tuesday. Uh, we got it. We interview big time athletes from high school to college to pros. We do anything from gymnastics to MMA, man. So you you, you can catch it all, and we'll, we'll oh, do like, a headline headline like segment on locker room. We'll we'll upload that as well. So we we got a little bit of everything. Got a little little buffet for for all, something for everyone. So well, um, yeah, I just followed all you guys. I'm I'm a big MMA guy, so whenever you guys have an MMA talk, you know, let, oh, let me know. Get get, re- get ready, Randy. Go ahead and run off that list. We got four fighters coming up in the next seven let, weeks, I think. Yeah, definitely. We've had Eric Anders on, who's a UFC fighter. Uh, he's coming on again in the next um, next month because he's got a fight coming up. We have some local guys coming on. One next week, Trey Manley. We we've we've uh, Rambo Forrest. We've had Jaleel Willis, who's a pro fighter who will be a UFC fighter very soon. So definitely, Jay, follow us on that. We we got some up-and-coming names, and also Eric Anders, obviously, is a is a pretty well-known name across the UFC. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm like I'm a big MMA guy. I used to train in MMA, like, when I was younger, so. Who, who's your who's your guy, Jay? Who, who do you root for? In, right now? Yeah. Oh, uh, I, I like uh, Stylebender, Adesanya. I really like okay. him. Oh, oh, yeah, dude. Yeah. Who, ha, ha, what's not to like, right? That guy's I mean, so fun to watch. To me, he's like a Anderson Silva Jr. Yeah, to me, yeah. he's got he's got a lot of Anderson Silva in him, and, and I think too. He, but he may be faster, right? I mean, he, he has the same kind of uh, maneuverability, but he may be quicker. Yeah, it looks like he's it. also smaller too. So I mean, you know, that could be it. Yeah, yeah, it looks like yeah. I, I, he, it's going to be a good fight. Um, what is it next week uh, when he moves up to light heavyweight? I can't wait. That's I'm, 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 I want to see how well he does um, when yeah when he moves up the weight class. I think he's still going to dominate. Oh yeah, absolutely. He's probably he's probably going to run through that division too. 
So yeah, no doubt. So while while we're on it, Jay, who's the best pound for pound fighter of all time or right now? Yeah, all time, all time. Ooh, dang man, it's crazy because um, I have a little podcast too. Me and my my um, couple of my boys. It's, it's just like you guys. There's three of us, but um, we had like a MMA talk. This is like like a when Connor had his fight last month. So we had like top five. We did like little top five MMA fighters of all time. So we came to like a general consensus, but um, we put it's it's like one A one B John Jones Anderson Silva. Ah, good. My me for me best pound for pound. I'm a I'm a big MMA guy too. Uh, I think it's John Jones, and I, I would put him at one A, and then Anderson Silva definitely one B. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah, yeah. Because I think like with with them two, it's like you can damn near like flip a coin, you know. But then your next guy's got to be Khabib. Khabib's in there. Khabib's in there. Oh, yeah, uh, for sure. But, but honestly, this is my personal opinion. I'm taking GSP over Khabib. Oh, man, we'd love to see it when they're in their primes, right? That would be a fight to see because they're so similar in a lot of right, what they yeah. do. But that's just – that's my personal opinion because to, to for what GSP did, what was that, several years ago, we took like a five, six-year break. Then he yeah. comes, comes back, moves – Fights a bigger man, Michael Bisping's, and like smashes him. I mean, come on, like who's doing that? I agree. I think that for me, if I'm gonna say best pound for pound, the whole package, right? I, the reason I say John Jones is not only what he's done in the ring, and I don't mean his personal stuff. He's got his own thing going on. I get all that, but yeah. just the charisma, the ability to sell fights. I think that is where GSP and even Khabib kind of lack that personality that it took to grow what the UFC was. John Jones was a catalyst for making it Nike and Reebok and those those marquee names that you have to have. Anderson Silva did the same thing. I mean, th- that's, to me, why I put John Jones ahead above everybody else. Oh, yeah. Definitely. So, so Randy, Randy, do we see John Jones fight this year? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dana White already. And he's going to come back. He's coming back, and he's going to fight for the belt. His first fight back. Yeah, Dana White, already, Dana White already said it next month uh, when um, – Stipe and Nagano fight. Whoever wins that fight, John Jones is fighting. He already says. Yeah, he said he's going to get a title fight. So I, I'm, and I, and I, I don't care who it is. I just want to see him fight again. So does that does that mean, Jay? Does that mean John Jones moves up to heavyweight and not oh. light heavyweight? How does oh, no, that work? He's fighting heavyweight. He's fighting. Yeah, he's fighting either Stipe or uh, Nagano for the t- title. Gotcha. gotcha. Yeah. So if you're a light heavyweight. You you can fight at the light heavyweight weight, or you can weigh up to two sixty five. Is that how that works? Well, light heavyweight is two hundred five. Two hundred five, yeah. And, and then anything above that, like two fifteen, two twenty up, heavyweight. You know. So the thing about John Jones is uh, he's the, this is his only weakness in his game. He doesn't he doesn't have any. This is the only one. I've always said it for years. <clears throat> he he fights he if he fights someone bigger than him and it's like very technical and he starts getting with like hitting him with leg kicks John Jones is not going to be able to check that I mean I'm sorry but he he has like the skinniest legs that I've seen in a fighter I mean I'm just being I'm being honest here. Yeah no Jay I agree with you and I, I just don't think we've seen anybody with the ability to capitalize on that because we've also seen John Jones you know, almost lose fights, and maybe he should have lost fights, right? But I think when we see him fight, and it's going to be in the summer, Dane already said, because they're fighting March 27th, 
you know, Stipe and Nagano. And then I think that by July, we'll see John Jones fight the winner of that fight. And then we'll know, right? Because both of those dudes are big. Well, that's the thing. Joe Rogan, he literally said uh, the reason why we haven't seen John Jones like within the last year is because he's been in the gym just doing hella squats, working on his legs. Well, he better, especially for Stipe and Nagano, either one. They can both take and check them legs. Right. So that's the thing. So it'll be, it'll be interesting, guys. Um, we're almost an hour, almost 90 minutes into this, this thing. We're going to, we're going to cut it off, but, um, I will tell, tell everybody if you like hearing the In Off the Bench podcast, please check us out. Um, or if you just want to hear Average Joe's talk X's and O's, you can like and share our podcast on Facebook. You can retweet us on Twitter, listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. And now you can check us out uh, on the locker room. Uh, just so everybody knows, we got our next episode. We got the fight game with Trey Manley. Um, so check it out. We'll see you guys next week. This has been the In Off the Bench podcast. As always, remember, strong body, sharp minds, grit and grind all the time. All right, you guys. Appreciate it. Appreciate you, Jay. Appreciate you. Thank you.